When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we'll do uh, questions towards the end. We should be alive any moment now. Let me go check on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And, I don't uh, see the... Yeah. Mute I don't it. know how to even get to the YouTube now. Oh, really? I don't have a... Tw- well, I mean, I could figure it out, I guess. Oh, I just yeah. don't have a Twitter, so... Yeah, we're, we're live, we're live. James Lindsay's live. I'm live. How are you? Living I'm okay, thank live, you. How Lindsay? are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How is your uh, 2022 turn out to be? It's been busy, man. It has been really busy. I'm trying to find you us on the YouTube right now so I can follow along with the chat. So it's been busy, though. Uh, I actually have traveled more this year, like already, like double what I traveled last year. And last year I traveled ridiculously. Do you, so is this do, this thing you... that's live now? Have you been oh, counting your miles? Yeah, it is. Okay. Hang on, I gotta figure out how to mute this tab before this one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, let me uh, ask the oh. chat. Okay, uh, thank God. Now we're in business. Yeah, hey, uh, chat, uh, let us know how our sound is, if our uh, levels yeah, are having equal. technical dis- difficulties, but not Dis- anymore. Dis- difficulties. Yeah, so 2022 has been busy. It's, you know, hard not to black pill in 2022. I don't know if you've noticed that, you know, things are crazy. The regime is going for broke or something. Yeah. Um, nothing else to stop them. Right. Yeah. So um, here we are, you know, uh, I feel like we've made some headway. I actually seriously do feel like and I don't know how much of it's because of stuff like what we're doing or people are doing and how much of it's just that they're hopeless. Uh, but the regime seems to be panicking a bit. And hmm. one one hint that I have of that is, I guess everybody saw the the video that went around like a Bill Gates like a week ago or so, where he was like, "This financial crap isn't going to work." He's like, "You can't just like move numbers around on a balance sheet. Who's going to make steel? Who's going to make cement?" He's like, "Got his whole he's panicking. He's like, do you have something secret in your desk drawer that's going <laughs> to make steel with your financial sheets?'" And it's like, "No, you don't." And so it's like something funny's going on. If he's all of a sudden kind of getting out of lockstep a little bit, um, hmm. you know, something funny's going on. Well, that's the top down, but you're doing rocks. you're doing bottom up. Sorry, what'd you say? I said ESG is on the rocks. We're targeting social emotional learning in the schools. I think we're finally targeting the stuff that matters. So it's a good year, honestly. A lot of people are stressed. It's black pill season, but it's a good year if uh, you kind of take a take a step back and realize, you know, what you can't do is compare 2022 to what you hoped 2022 would be like in fantasy land. You have to compare 2022 as it is to what 2022 would have been had people not started speaking up. And had people not started, you know, pointing out and digging into the actual causes of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked you how many miles uh, you've traveled, but I'm, what I really want to know is your carbon footprint. Oh, let me see if it tells me on my app. I'll open it. Um, so I don't know how many miles I've traveled for sure 
this year. I know how many tra- miles I've traveled total once I type in my password, which is just kidding. Um, I've probably traveled about half of these this year, actually. Uh, it says that my lifetime flight miles. Oh, I just crossed a milestone on my last trip. It is 301,404 miles. So I've traveled a few miles. Um, I have a lot of, uh, what do you call them? You know, uh, frequent flyer miles of like about 700,000 of them, um, stocked up in my account. Uh, has so this all see. been Where's in, the uh, that's what I was looking for, right? In America or What's international? That? This has all been in America. I mean, some yeah. of those lifetime flight miles were my old trips to China and Europe yeah. and things like that from years and years ago. But I mean, but 2022. I left the United States since the end of 2019. So this has almost all been crazy amounts of back and forth domestic travel. And I don't know how to tell you how much my, if they are tracking my, I know they are tracking my CO2. It's not on here in an easy to find way. So <laughs> that's good news. Schwab will come down. He'll, he'll send you the receipt. Yeah. So I have, my carbon footprint is still less than anybody who flies in a private jet. Less than uh, what? Not Taylor Lorenz, the other Taylor. Uh, I mean, big Taylor. I, what's her name? Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah. Squad goals. Taylor. Yeah. Okay. We got the goals. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. So yeah, how so, was for 2022? Because we haven't spoken. Have yeah. we spoken in a stream like this year? I think we did something in spring. In spring. But it's, it's been a long time. It's been a long it time. It has been a long time. We've been, yeah. well, I've been busy. I'm gone. You, like right now, because Dr. Phil, I was supposed to be on Dr. Phil yesterday. I was supposed to fly home from Los Angeles today. Dr. Phil, I was already in Los Angeles. And Dr. Phil texted me, well, not him, his people, oh. texted me and canceled on me at short notice. They didn't explain why. All they said was, we've rearranged, we don't need you at this time. And I texted back and I said, I already flew to California. And they did not answer me and have not replied. Oh, so they really ghosted you. I don't know. I mean, I haven't contacted my contact yet and said, P.S., this was super unprofessional. Like, I literally was already in California. Luckily, I had to be in California for another reason. So it wasn't like I flew out there for getting stood up. I had another conference. But what I had to do was change my flight and then change my flight back. So they actually incurred not only stress but financial hardship upon me that I have a feeling I will not get remunerated for. Hardship. Is yeah. that, sorry, a little off topic. Is that like a pumpkin spice beer? Is that what you're drinking? No, this is some kind of a very overcooked double IPA that I picked up because I wanted something that seemed like it would be refreshing and it looks pretty on the can and it says Dippa and I was like, what the hell's a Dippa? And I'm like, oh, double IPA. And it really, those first couple of mouthfuls, that was number one. They're like, holy shit, there's a lot of hops in this. A lot of hops. Um, so that is, yeah. that's a can full of growing your boobs is what it is. Oh, wow. Estra-tastic. Yeah. I mean, there's your phytoestrogen story of the hour. Is yeah. Hops, you should look into that. The moobs of Lindsay. Not anymore, really. I started doing that cold plunging. Wait, is this like uh, this like Tide Pod thing? Is this one of those no, TikTok challenges? No, no, no. There's no Tide involved. There's just cold water and my butt in it every day. Okay. Yeah. Just your butt? Just like no. a shallow pan? No, that would be a sits bath. 
no. <laughs> I'm up to my neck or my chin or whatever. Um, and it's pretty cold. So that's my new thing. I do the, I do the, yes, I do the Wim Hof breathing while I'm in there. Okay. And, uh, Did you like dig a hole in your backyard with no, like, I bought refrigerated? a tub. Okay, so it's a specialty tub. Yes, it's actually a tub that it's you know what a hot tub is? Imagine that, but cold. Okay. Just like ice, like being not tossed at your nipples, just like not quite that cold. Okay. The coldest right. I got in it so far is forty seven. Which okay. by the way is cold. All right. Okay. I was in that for okay. like ten minutes. That's pretty damn cold. So it shrinks your moobs and your junk. It shrinks everything. Everything just gets Yeah. What, what's the health benefit of this is like purifying it's, oh, the oh god that's supposed to be off the charts I don't know there are experts in this <laughs> Joe Rogan does it so it's obviously good for you because everything Joe Rogan does is good for you like yeah. you know whatever Joe Rogan does All no it's like supposed to be good for your immune system it's supposed to be good for your catecholamines it's supposed to be good for therefore mental clarity and focus motivation um, all kinds of crap mm. all kinds okay. of crap heart so, rate variability is a big one one of our like things that we do when we speak is like your stress levels. So does this decrease your stress levels? Uh, yeah, kind of. I think so. It's hard to say because there's a confounded variable here, which is the confounded variable of doing the Wim Hof breathing, which drops your stress level basically to zero. And so you do the breathing exercises while you're in the cold water. And so I don't know for sure which one. Is, can you give an example or is this like a 20 minute like long? I mean, it like, takes a few minutes. I can tell you what you do. There's a video. There's a whole bunch of, it's in like every language on earth. Windhoff. He's got him on his Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F. Okay. So okay. this guy's got this, he's the Iceman. And so <laughs> this guy runs marathons in shorts and no shoes in the snow because of his stupid breathing exercises. They're amazing. And they are profound in terms of how much they calm you down or relax you. Like when you finish doing the the thing on the beginner exercise on the YouTube, if you actually do it, I swear to God, you don't give a shit what happens next. You're totally chilled out. Like you could not, you don't care if you breathe anymore. Like you literally just, okay, so what you do is you breathe in and out. And that's got a name like holotropic breathing or something. You breathe in and out deeply and relatively quickly, but not like huff and puff. 30 breaths should take about a minute and a half, a little over a minute and a half to do the 30 breaths. So I don't want to do that because it's kind of stupid. But you breathe in deep, you breathe out, breathe in deep, breathe out, breathe in deep, breathe out. 30 times, no pause. You don't breathe in and hold it, breathe out and hold You know, just 30 deep, quick breaths, but not like huff and puff breaths. There are other exercises that I think these faster breaths. I just got the app. I don't know. I haven't started digging into that. I'm happy with what's on the YouTube for free. And so anyway, when you breathe out on number 30, Right? Yeah. You breathe all the way out and you stop. You do not breathe back in. And then you wait. And so the first round on the YouTube video, you breathe out for 30 seconds. You breathe out and you keep your breath out for 30 seconds. Then you take a deep breath, hold it for 15 seconds, relax, breathe out. Round number two, do it exactly the same. Okay? Except this time you hold your breath out for 60 seconds. And then the third time you hold your breath out for 90 seconds. Oh, by the way, that's a long time to not breathe. That's, a long, that's time. a long time to not breathe with your breath out in particular. But for a while back in the spring, I was doing it like pretty seriously. And I was doing it like every day and I wasn't just doing three rounds. And usually I don't I usually do five or six. And I just kind of like back the video up and do the last round over and over again. But then he says, if you want to prolong your breath hold, pause the video and continue. And so I'm OK. I don't. I just back it up so I can keep a timer going. And I just keep clicking backwards and letting it go in like a, a little circle. And one time last spring, I was like six minutes plus. 
And it's like, it's like I think Olympic it's because you're hyper-oxygenating yourself. But then I okay. get kind of like, I think that was bad for me. And so like, I kind of like backed off from the whole project. Um, okay. That was Wait, also, you did know, you I like start seeing that visions like, like ayahuasca so stuff? It was like, it was like what an do you hour bad for you? Every day. Yeah. It's profound. So anyway, it turns out yeah. you do it in the cold water and you no longer are tense in the cold water. You relax. That's what it's supposed to do. And then once you relax in the cold water, turns out it's not that cold. It's like it's way more bearable once you relax. Yeah. And somebody in the chat asked if it fights communism. And yes, mental clarity is required for fighting communism. And so is something, something that breaks you out of your freaking head. And let me tell you what, cold water will break you out of your head. Any cycle going on in your head mm-hmm. ends. You get your butt and twig and berries in cold water. Mm-hmm. When your moves go down under the cold water, your mm-hmm. chin goes into the cold water. Yeah. You kind of forget about everything except that the water's really cold. I don't necessarily want to psychoanalyze Marxism, but you said something interesting there about breaking out of your head is how you get out of it. Is it like just because it's such a mental, like, are you fighting mentally against this process that we call Marxism or communism? I mean, I'm not really. I mean, I just kind of understand it. It's just frustrating to see it everywhere. And so you start getting in these, I think a lot of us kind of get blackpilled because we get into these cycles of thinking, oh my God, they're doing this. And literally... Maybe it's just me because I'm a magnet for bad news now. But I wake up every day with like a hundred exa- – even without Twitter, I wake up with like a hundred examples, right, in my email or my D- DMs or on Instagram instead of the bird app that doesn't exist anymore. And I have all these Elon examples of terrible things that sure. are going on. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, they're doing that. They're implementing this. They're installing that. And, you know, it's enough to stress a guy out. Turns out the cold water – reset. You get out of the cold water, you've had a great reset of your brain, you're ready to do other things. And then what I normally do when I get out of the cold water, you know what the best way to warm up after you get out of cold water is? A Snickers? Incorrect. It is exercise. Snickers relates to exercise because sugar. But no, it turns out that it is exercise. And so then I'm making excuses to work out every day, getting out of the cold water. You have to start slow, you'll hurt your tendons, but then start working out a little bit, get the fitness going. Get the circulation back up. It takes about 10 minutes. Get your 15 minutes. Get your blood going again. Then you start sweating, et cetera. And then, then you're good to go. So this turns out to be really good for for not being crazy. Yeah. Like well, for really getting out of your head and getting back into your body, the whole yeah. you know thing. Anyway, so this is yeah. this is my routine. Sounds like a good one. It's not bad. I really like the cold water. Wim Hof says by day six, you'll crave the ice. And I remember laughing at that, thinking that's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's actually true. I don't know if it takes even six days. Um, usually I kind of have a resistance to getting into the cold water the first time I do it in any given day. And then all I want to do is get back in the cold water all day long afterwards. Hmm. Hmm. Sounds kind of addicting, but without a chemical other than just like cold water, which I guess is technically a chemical. But Yeah, well, apparently it causes your norepinephrine to go up by like 500%. So that's a chemical. A norepinephrine? What is norepinephrine? that? Norepinephrine. It Does is that help also known as like noradrenaline. It is okay. one of your adrenal hormones. All right. Okay. So it's kind of like a stress hormone, but not, or you kind oh, of like, yeah, it's it like a, a challenge hormone, hormone, but it makes your brain like super, super, super clear. And I think that the big mental benefit of this though, is that you're putting yourself in a very, let's use technical terminology, a very sympathetic nervous system situation. You descend into cold water. This is your sympathetic nervous system kicks in. You start breathing hard. Your heart starts pounding. Your norepinephrine shoots through the roof, stress hormone, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then what do you do? 
you master that stress in the stressful environment and you calm down and then you're so much calmer afterwards. Hmm. I'm okay. also telling you, like if you're ruminating or whatever, you get out in the forest, you know, go engage in social rituals. We should talk about that. That's a thing people are forgetting to do. But cold water will shock you right out of your damn head. It's really mm -hmm. hard to be like caught in a loop of thought and that's yeah. bugging you and then get in cold water and then remember 20 minutes later <laughs> after you've been sitting in cold water for 15 or 20 minutes that it mattered. How big is your tub? Is it enough for a social ritual or is it just a I single use? I don't think that's a good idea. It's like a giant bathtub. Okay. So it's two, not as big as a hot people. tub and it doesn't have seats. It technically, I think you could put two people in it, but you'd have to really like be careful not to splash the water everywhere. And you'd be kicking each other if you wanted to be descent. If you wanted to just sit up in it to where like, you know, it cuts at your bottom of your ribs or whatever, then that, that you could put two people in it. But if you wanted to like actually submerge to your neck, that's going to be a little weird. Okay. I mean, best. yeah, it's, it's like You'd a big bathtub. It's literally cool. just a big bathtub with a cooler, Fair and it turns out mine also has a heater. Oh, wait. What, the cooler is just like, so it's just like these little spritzes of cold water? Just like... No. It has jets in it like a hot tub, and the jets spray cold water cold. instead of hot water. That's fascinating. It's not that complicated. No, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, not with modern technology. Comparatively, it's not. Uh, I just want to say to chat that we will get to the super chats later on after we get into the flow, but I would like to hear hear about this social ritual uh, kick that you're on. Okay, I'm not on a kick. I just think about it sometimes. Think about these young people. They don't go out in the world. They're scared of the world because they have their phone and they're playing on their phone. And they order their shit on the phone and they buy everything on the phone and they text on the phone and they don't talk to people in the face-to-face -face modes. And I remember reading a thing where he's talking – I was mentioning this in the context of rumination. So does everybody know what rumination is? Rumination is when you start chewing on something. You can't get it out of your head. You get in your head. You usually you're in a bad mood when you're ruminating and it's just kind of going in a cycle. And there's mm -hmm. different ways you can break up rumination. Some people who are not me can go exercise their way out of rumination. I can't do it. It doesn't work for me. Walking in nature with lots of greenery apparently breaks open the rumination pattern and then you can get out of it. This is kind of well known. But one of the things that actually gets people out of rumination and it's also pro-social is that you go into public. Let's say you go to the grocery store. It doesn't have to be anything like special. You go to the grocery store and you don't have self-checkout. OK, pretend you don't have self-checkout. So you get a couple things and you go to the you get your milk, you get your eggs, you get your you know bananas, whatever it is. You go up and you go to pay for them. And then there's somebody standing there. And what do they say? Hey, how are you? Did you find everything you need? And you, whether you like to or not, you have to say, I'm good. That's probably a lie. And yeah, I found what I was looking for. turns out that little exchange of pleasantries snaps you out of your head. And every time you have to do that, somebody's walking by, you're at the mall or you're out in the you know, public or whatever, and somebody walks by and they wave and they say, hi, how are you? And you say, good, how are you? That snaps you out of your head just a little bit every single time. Plus, even though you're not making a real connection with somebody else, you're actually like engaging with another person. And it gets you more and more and more out of your head, which is why these freaking devices and the perpetual parasocial relationships that they foster and engender are probably net bad in a big way that contribute to a lot of the net bads that we're actually all dealing with. Hmm. Um, so I really do think we should be encouraging people getting together in person, connecting analog, even if it's just the little pleasantries, make yourself go through the normal checkout instead of the self checkout at the grocery store. Yeah, I get yeah. it. If you're in a hurry, it's like, you don't have to do this, but forcing yourself to have interaction, pleasant, 
you know, social interaction with strangers turns out probably to be good for you. And it's something that used to be required to participate in social and civic life. Mm-hmm. And it is not really required now because like I was, this is why I was thinking about it. This is what got it in my head the other day. I was at the airport. I'm at airports a lot, but yeah. you know, I like to eat as some people do. And so I was at the airport in Houston where I actually am a lot. I ran into a guy at the airport one time and he said, I didn't think I would see you here. And I'm like, there's nowhere on earth that I am more than this. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm here like three times a week. Um, But anyway, I was in Houston and in Houston now at almost all the restaurants, not the fast food places, but almost all the like actual kind of sit down restaurants. They don't come to your table and like take your order and that whole little ritual. There's a fucking iPad on your table and you have to like, you're supposed to scan a QR code to be able to pay from your phone, blah, blah, blah. Right. No, you at no point do you ever in any significant way interact with anybody. You choose your food, you push the button, you wait, somebody brings it and sets it down in front of you. They barely, they confirm that they're setting the right thing in front of you and then they go away. And then there's no end interaction. There's no interactions. And you've interacted with a friggin' iPad, right? And so it's convenient. It's actually saved my ass in Houston because you've already paid for your meal and tipped before you, before you eat, before you even get your meal. And one time they, I had a delayed flight. So I was like, I'm going to get a nicer, you know, I'm going to slow down and have an actual meal here. Right. And I sat down and I'm about halfway through my food, which I've already paid for on the friggin' iPad. And it was like, we have undelayed your flight and i'm like oh shit i have to be across the airport in like four minutes now um so it worked out to be convenient at one point but the fact of the matter is you used to have to if you wanted to get food in public you had to talk to somebody like actually speaking with somebody for a minute or two was a requirement it's no longer a requirement i don't think that this is a direction as much as it feels like convenience i don't think this is a direction we should really want to go i don't think that living inside of our head connected to other people primarily only through devices that create parasocial relationship and activity is the way that we really need to to, to go in life. I'm thinking about this a lot because I'm in these friggin' airports looking at these iPads all the time. Also, I'm like, what the fuck data are they tracking off of my phone when I scan that QR code? Yeah. And it's like, I'm using my credit card. What's going on here? You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. I don't trust any of this shit now. Um one but wonders do, if communism or, or what, what we call communism, what you referred to as communism earlier, this huge systemic um, ideology that's uh, organizing society in a particular direction, if that is accelerated by the fact that we are more and more disconnected from other people's human experience. And so ideas like CRT, SEL, ESG are infectious because we're already thinking in our daily living or we're already not thinking of human beings as other human beings. We're thinking of I mean, them my as belief is that, exchange. It's like communism and Marxist theory says that their goal is to humanize the world and that everybody's alienated, blah, blah, blah. But I just think the whole thing's an inversion of reality and the iron law of woke projection always applies at this point. So in fact, I think that it's all about alienating people from each other and dehumanizing them um, yep. in order to achieve political agendas but, and goals. So what I'm yeah, saying, I'm tying so. that to, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the daily life is that we are disconnected more and more. So those ideas actually make more sense. They actually describe the world yeah, rather well, than change. the Communism world. might work if humans were only abstract instead of real. Yeah. 
And it, if you're only interacting with people through your phone or kind of in this virtual or depersonalized sense, then people are really just kind of abstract. They're just abstractions. They don't have lives. They don't have feelings. They don't have anything. You know, they have the concept of feelings. They don't have feelings. The thing that you enter, your iPad has nothing. It's the most faceless while with a camera probably watching you take everybody your food faceless thing in the entire universe. Hmm. And as for the communism in general, that's probably true. As for what's happening right now with what we can only call neo-communism in the very specific, this Mm -hmm. is it. I mean, the goal is to use tech, they've used different words throughout their their history, technocratic, but through technotronic, Mm -hmm. they used to use that word a lot, technotronic control, which is techno-electronic, I think. I have no friggin' idea even what that word comes where that comes yeah, from it's kind of dated. but the idea is it's like that you're going to interface with your ipad you're going to interface with the metaverse i worry about that i worry about like how are they going to get people on that thing does you know anybody who wants to be in the metaverse i don't know anybody who wants to be in the metaverse uh, with the the visor with the goggles yeah no. yeah nobody so what are they going to do how are they going to get people in it well they're going to put school in the metaverse that's how they're going to make kids get in it so then they have an account Seven, eight hours a day, they're plugged into their freaking goggles. Then it's like, why are they actually at school? They have their goggles. They don't need to be there. Hmm. Now they're just locked in their bedroom with freaking goggles on their face seven, eight hours a day, pretending they're in ancient Rome. But it's not really ancient Rome. It's what Mark Zuckerberg programmed ancient Rome to be. And pretending they're on the moon. I saw an advertisement for this earlier. You don't have to tell the kids about the moon. You can take them to the moon in the metaverse and they can walk Hmm. around on the moon. No, they can't. That's what some goon programmed the moon to be like. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing. And then the same thing, but then you got to think about it. Okay, they can make the kid believe that you're in ancient Rome. You can make the kid believe he's on the moon. You can make the kid believe whatever, blah, blah. Okay, so what when that happens when the kid's a little shit? What do you do with him then? Do you put him in a gulag? Do you put him in a prison? Do you wheel him back to like a concentration camp for like two hours to punish him? If you can import one experience, why can't you import a different experience? And it's like, I don't like the look of this. I also think, speaking of what we're talking about with those iPads, I suspect the cash registers are going to move into the metaverse. I suspect cash registers are going to exist in some meta, some augmented reality. The cash register is not there. You go to the Starbucks, you want to get a coffee. There's no way to pay. You want to get a start. You want to get a coffee. You better log into your friggin metaverse account. And there is a fake imaginary cash register and you can scan your your fake imaginary digital hand that's connected to the digital ID connected to your profile to take your <laughs> CBD credits out of your hand or you know out of your account central bank digital currency control credits your yeah. your coupon money that you buy by providing data to the regime and that the data becomes the basis of the currency you know because this debt currency is not working so good right now and the gold currency is not there anymore. So now what we have, your data becomes the basis for the currency next. Why? Because if you give them the data, you're providing them with something of value. So they can give you a universal basic income or beyond that in fake money, digital currency, because your data enables them to market to you better, to predict you better, to control you better. And then you think, wow, James, you're doing a full-blown blown crazy talk. Except that that's from a 2019 paper written by a critical theorist criticizing the direction, written by a leftist, criticizing the direction that what he calls psychodata is going. 
the relentless gathering of data and what the purposes that entities like the United Nations, the OECD, um, World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, Templeton Foundation, World Bank. He names a lot of them. He doesn't name the CCP. But but what's a lot his of these critique then or his counter to it then as a leftist from the leftist uh, point of view? Well, it's what like his complaint. It's really weird to read that paper. And like I said, it's called Psychodata. The author is Ben Williamson, if anybody wants to look it up. Um, it's a very weird critique. It's basically, it's kind of like he's saying, this is exactly what we want, but we don't want the wrong people to be in control of it. And these people happen to be the wrong people. But if we could get the right people in control of it, we could use it for other purposes. He's not real explicit about that, though. Um, Mm. But it's very clear that he doesn't like the direction that it's going and he's warning about it. But he says that the point of all this data gathering is very explicitly clear. It's to make perfectly forecastable economic units out of people and perfectly controllable political units out of people. I even saw a thing on a World Economic video, the forum video the other day where it was like, oh, yeah, when we need to speed up the economy, we can speed it up. When we need to slow down the economy, we can slow it down. That way you don't get boom and bust cycles. They can just control the speed of the economy by conditioning what everybody's going to do. Isn't um, that desirable, though, uh, to be able to uh, have some sort of lever on that, to stop a crash or to, to deflate okay, so, a bubble? So here's where here's where they get you and they just got you. Isn't that desirable because we need some sort of lever? Do you see? You're what I don't know that you actually agree with it. That you're just asking a uh, you know a prompting question, but the question: Do we should we have should we think about something that can help provide that function, and do we want that? Those are two different questions. I do not want that. It might be good that we do have something that can perform functions like that in an effective way that doesn't actually work through turning our money into a voucher system that they can control what we can spend it on when we can spend it to massively curtail freedom, right? That they can slow down the economy by – like right now they try to monkey around with interest rates and things like that to do this. But they can slow down or speed up the economy by making it so, well, we need the economy to be slower. So you can only use up to 10% of your money for the next 60 days. Mm, Not as Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. I, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, so many of our things in life in the past 30, 40 years have been about this. We're all sacrificing the ability to have any risk whatsoever, that anything bad might happen by turning life into this nerfed version where nobody's happy, nothing's ever interesting. And in fact, people that we should not have given control over us have control over us. Like, for example, whoa, don't you want something that stops terrorists? Yes, we do want things that stop terrorists. Do we want the Patriot Act that allows the NSA to spy on every American? No, we don't. As a matter of fact, we don't. Hmm. So do we want something that can possibly work into that kind of a function? Probably. And it seems like something that we should have a say in helping to develop what that would look like. Do we want that? No, we do not want that. And this is so often what's going on. We need to do something. This is something. Let's do it. And the right and left, this is something people do. This isn't a political thing. The left is really good at manipulating it. The right is really good at falling face first into a fucking hole with it. Hmm. Like, I know, let's set up a state church and get a king. Fuck. 
Seriously? <laughs> we need to do something to stop the woke. Having a king is something. Let's do that. Dive face first into a hole full of dog shit. These people are stupid. Hmm. So should there be something? Yeah, let's talk about it. Should it be that? Bad idea. Bad idea, bro, Chacho. Klaus Schwab well, in charge of how much money you can spend on what and when when he's talking about how in the future you're going to eat the bugs and be happy? No, I don't think so. I'm not going to eat fucking crickets, Klaus. Okay, well, but while the marketplace of ideas is talking about it, people are actually doing things. People are actually instantiating things. And I bring that up because I want to kind of trace um, our discussions from talking about the theory, postmodernism, CRT. We, we've gone through all the theory, and you've gone through all the theory, you've processed the theory, you've written books and papers about the theory, and now you're trying to instantiate, you're trying to do something, you're trying to cross that Rubicon from, I know that's the wrong term, but yeah, going from the Rubicon. virtual, uh, well, maybe you do, um, you're trying to go from thinking and talking about it into doing things. And how does doing things work? How do you choose what to do? Okay, and so how has what you've done or been involved in done anything? All right, let's say that your your, your kitchen's on fire, right? It's just started. It's not like in a total conflagration, but a fire has started in your kitchen. So now you have a problem, right? And you got, you've got to do something about it, right? It would behoove you to stop for like, you know, a quarter second. You see the flames, you see the smoke, you see the danger, you panic. You're freaking out. It would behoove you for a quarter second to recognize the nature of the problem that you're dealing with before you take action. For example, is it an electrical fire? There are things you do and don't do with an electrical fire. Is it a grease fire? You ever watch those videos of somebody that's like they throw the bucket of water on a grease fire and then their kitchen explodes and it's like all over their face and it's like they've sprayed themselves with napalm? Yeah. Or is it, you know, kind of a traditional little fire to the paper, the towel or whatever, like the, the, the kitchen towel dip into the burner and catch on fire. It's just, that's a normal fire. You dump water on that. It's going to go out. That's the right thing to do. You dump water on a grease fire. It's going to explode. You're in a bad place. You dump water onto an electrical fire. I don't know. That's got to be a, a bad idea. So there are correct things to do based on the circumstances, which means you have to properly understand the situation that you're in. And then you have to act from there. As I've quoted like a billion times from the book, political panorology. He claims it's a Polish proverb. Uh, is it Lobachevsky that wrote that? I don't remember. Anyway, he writes this. He says, never attempt to cure that which you don't understand because you probably make it worse, right? And so in the situation that we're in right now, and people are like, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to do something. I don't think this requires knowing what stage we're at in the war, the issue, the, the fight, whatever we want to call it. You have to know what's happening and you have to know where we are. People are all the time, I don't want to deal with people who don't know what time it is. Well, you better know what time it is. You know what time it isn't? It's not time to do something reactionary. What you actually need to do is you need to recognize the circumstances that we're in. So what do I think the circumstances that we're in, yeah. we're in happen to be? I think that the world is being run by a cartel. I think that we have a financial cartel. I think that we should be taking direct action to deal with the cartel. We can start talking about goofy cultural crap and we can start talking about other things after we deal with the cartel and start to see what liberation from the cartel looks like in terms of behaviors. So let's say that let's say just imaginary now we're in we're in conceptual, you know, 
possibility space that we defeat the cartel. The ESG cartel is over. BlackRock and Larry Fink are put to, to the point with laws and they can't keep going because it's considered trust or conspiracy or whatever they get busted for. We're a year down the track. Do some of the universities start to experiment with not having a DEI or an ESG or a SDG hmm. program? Do some start to do that? Well, hmm. in that case, now we're going to have an open market. And it behooves us to see what they're going to do with it rather than putting down some hammer and fist law saying, no, you're going to teach the true, the good, and the beautiful according to parentheses, according to our view of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Because guess what? The communists think they're teaching the true, the good, and the beautiful too. They think that the true is that humans are a fundamentally perfectly social communist species. The good is achieving that in reality so that oppression is ended. And the beautiful is what you are able to create and produce with your work when you are freed from the from the necessity of working for somebody else or to feed a hungry belly. Marx says that explicitly, that that's what true, good, and beautiful boil down to. Hmm. So you can't say we're going to put down this law and say we're going to teach the true, the good, and the beautiful, and everything's going to get back. We're going to use a classical education. Herbert Marcuse was a classicist. Herbert Marcuse would have if – if you told Herbert Marcuse you have to do a classical education, we'd all be studying Plato. We'd all be learning the pederasty of Timaeus, and we'd all be learning to do – to organize society according to um, the Republic, which is literally – well, Marcuse is a gold person, and then his uh, his guard of, I guess, black liberationists are going to be the silver people, and everybody else are the base metal people that have to do be basically the workers to keep it up, except for all of you deplorables who are the mud people um, down beneath the pyramid of society, and you're going to have an absolute tyranny. So this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. You actually have to understand the situation. You have to understand the provocations. You have to understand what time it is, and I think that the time – so I've already told you what it is. We have a cartel. I think that the time is raising awareness, making eyes open. The cartel, it's very difficult to beat a cartel. Cartels beat themselves when the conditions become right and when law enforcement can do something. We don't have law enforcement on our side right now, but we do have the possibility of a lot of angry people. A lot of angry people create a lot of pressure. Now, what is the what is the cartel filled with? How does it work? Is it because Klaus Schwab and like 40 guys in Davos or 300 guys in Davos said, this is the way we are going to do things and everybody just goes along with it? No. It's because there's a whole bunch of people at layer after layer after layer after layer under him that are strivers. They don't care what the system is, so they're amoral in that sense. They <laughs> just care how they can climb in the system. Well, yeah. if that system looks like a bad deal to them, like I think it does with Bill Gates all of a sudden right now, and it looks like there might be a possibility of them striving in a different system that will save their ass when this one falls on it falls down and, and, and crushes them. They're going to jump ship. And that happens when people realize that, oh, their little schemes aren't going to fly because people aren't buying in. People don't trust it. So I still think as frustrating as it is, I actually think that we are still in the consciousness raising phase. We have not achieved. We have a very much larger population of awakened people, but we're not in the stage to where we have a critical mass that can turn over a population going forward. And from your point of view, the financial system or regime or cartel is upstream from the universities. Once you change the Absolutely people... Absolutely it is. No, I don't but, know what will happen in the universities, but it is definitely upstream from the universities. Okay, because it's definitely uh, upstream. Not to invoke Yarvin, but Yarvin's completely opposite. He says the universities are where all the power come from, what he calls the cathedral, and that BlackRock is just following what all these Yale and Harvard graduates want to do, right? 
the the money yeah, is following the the politic and the politic well, is is bred within the universities it's taught there they get their mbas there all of their prestige comes from harvard into the into the financial institution yeah circles exist so, right yeah okay circles exist so but you you think if we can change the financial system by public pressure then somehow the universities the thought leaders will kind of follow no, I think that what will happen is that some will start to experiment with something different instead of mm -hmm. seeing pure lockstep. And then the power of the market, the power of people having a seat at the table will start to manifest and start to put it's the invisible hand of the market. It's not an invisible hand. It's yeah. the power of millions of people suddenly having a voice or a seat at the table in a meaningful way. And so. Certainly, there is a problem that our entire elite structure has been educated and really programmed. It's not even indoctrinated. We've got to stop saying indoctrinated. They've been programmed into a particular way of thinking about the world. And then they gain elite status because of that. And then so they think about the world more and they groom certain people to think that way. And then they gain more. And so there is that cycle. And certainly Larry Fink is aware of these pressures. But Larry Fink knows what behaviors he wants to get out of people. Where he got those is kind of immaterial. He's a, it's a sunk cost. He now has in his hands literally lovers of power that have not been wielded by anybody in at least a century and maybe longer. Hmm. And so what we see when we look at the universities is zero experimentation. When we look at publicly traded companies, we see zero experimentation. When, Like, hmm. why are there no anti-woke universities and people say what about the university of dallas what about hillsdale this this isn't this isn't the same you don't have the university of any state for example you don't have any of these kind of like big gravity centers of gravity university of chicago tried but then it eventually... no they put out a wimpy free speech yeah. statement free speech statements don't mean anything well they didn't they kind of tried that they tried like with a limp-wristed, like, I'm going to write a firmly worded letter approach. What you would see, for example, why is there not a university, let's say, in Yeehaw, Texas, doing something different? Why is there, why is there not a university in reddest of red states, Oklahoma, attempting something different? And the reason is very simple, because they're effed if they do. And they know they're effed if they do which means the power is not flowing upward from them to Larry Fink. It is flowing downward from Larry Fink's access to $20 trillion in assets under management. Like, think about it for 10 seconds. Which thing makes sense? A bunch of fucking dorks are saying stuff, and so Larry Fink, the most powerful man in the world, listens to him? Or Larry Fink has $20 trillion that he gets to whip people around with. Well, okay, let, let's enlarge that. Those, those bunch of dorks... From Harvard and Yale all the way down to your local community college, they're all in lockstep and they are all in your kindergarten, second grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, high school classes. So it's uh -huh. the entire education system yeah, is that's the programming the your students, programming the populace to have certain values. And then could it be the case that Larry Fink just comes in and says, okay, I figured out the system. If I just do these words and have them believe in these things, they already believe in these things. I'll just activate that and then gain all the capital from that. It seems like he's already deployed or employed. But that's not or, what he's or, doing. That's not where he's gaining capital. He's gaining capital from manipulating ExxonMobil to sell a bunch of physical assets to PetroChina that he owns trillions of shares of. Hmm. 
he's gaining money from manipulating the market using his tool that has gigantic capital behind it. Yeah. But that tool isn't ESG. ESG is just when it is ESG. Well, is it is it ESG? Is it just using ESG to advance itself with a glaze of moral, you know, beatitude or something like that? It's no, just dressed so, up. So I think what you're asking about then is a platonic ideal of ESG. Like there is no platonic ideal of ESG. ESG is a manipulable tool that these people created so that it can mean whatever they need it to mean so they can manipulate the market and get people to do what they need them to do. How yeah. do you know that? And I don't mean how do you guess that? I mean how do you know that? Elon Musk says something they don't like. Tesla, all of a sudden, the leading electric car company in the universe, loses its ESG score because of its bad social credit now. It's social. The S goes right in the toilet. That's how you can know. There are lots of other ways where this just doesn't make sense. Wow. A, a war that's oddly convenient for the regime's purposes breaks out in Ukraine versus versus Russia and immediately, like, the social environment of the world says that Halliburton needs to be rated super high on ESG now so that we can buy missiles, but only the ones that go to Ukraine to fight against Russia, not companies that might be supplying or stocking Russia. That would be the wrong side of the S score. So there's these things that we want to have happen in the world, and we're going to contour the scoring to be whatever it needs to be so that we can carrot and stick companies into it. And it is a carrot and a stick. But the what we're seeing now in the past, you know, 18 months or actually less 10 to 10 to 12 months is it well maybe it is 18 is it the carrots fake it's not even a real carrot esg does not make return on investment it actually is a scam talking to an investment guy the other day i was talking to ed dowd i don't know if you know who ed dowd is ed dowd is a um I've seen he, his he, channel. he was high up on the what's that I think say, he's got a YouTube channel. I believe he probably does. Yeah, yeah. he uh, he was high up in the in the chain of command in risk management at BlackRock for a number of years, and he does lots of interesting things looking at insurance numbers right now and what those imply about the um, uh, what's how do you say this word in jab, G A B. Yeah, I'm trying to find a word that you can say that YouTube isn't going to shit its pants about. Um, yeah, that word. So everybody knows what we're talking about, right? The, the one of there's like two words you can't say or two things you can't talk about on YouTube. It's the other one. Okay. It's not election fraud. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you're gonna go the. Anyways, yeah. Go carry on, carry. On, carry yeah. On. So anyway, I talked to Ed Dowd, and he's like, well, he was actually giving a talk after I talked to him, and he was like, ESG. Somebody asked, what's what's the role of ESG and everything you just described, and he was like, ESG is just a scam. Besides the fact that it gives them a hand, overwhelming amount of control, at the same time, and it's completely arbitrary, they get to make up what it is and change it whenever they want. It also allows them to charge crazy high fees and make crazy investor or broker fees off of every one of their stupid investments. It's hmm. a, They are dumping money into their own pockets while using implements of control. Beautiful. Isn't it? Isn't it? And so – his favorite word, I swear to God, is fraud. So everything is fraud, fraud, fraud. And he's just talking about how all the frauds have compiled on each other and kicked further and further out until now we just have world fraud. And what these people are trying to do ultimately is to manage the world fraud so that they can get through far enough to the other side of the fraud bubble breaking without yeah. getting, you know, um, we'll call it a massive blowback when 99.9% .9 of the population realizes that they've been defrauded which that's approximately the population, the percentage of the population that has been. And, and you see signs of that failing, the carrot stick, or at least the carrot of the uh, ESG. I do. I do. I see them be being very agitated. I see, for example, I think that they had a timeline 
once they initiated certain things, for example, once the pandemic kicked off and they took, I'm not saying they initiated the pandemic, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but they initiated for certain policies with regard to the pandemic, like lockdowns, like shutdowns, like supply chain disrupting, let's just call it supply chain disrupting programs that are meant to suppress the spread of the virus. Once they initiated that set of policies, and it's all policy, that's all policy. Once they started initiating those sets of policies, they set a timer for themselves. Tick-tock, bomb is going to go off. People are going to notice. What are they going to notice? I don't know that we don't have heat this winter. Food is in short supply. Things that they can't get away from noticing. We had so much stock. You can only wreck the supply chains. for in the, the, the Actually, not even the supply chain. Like Sometimes it's the root of the supply. You can only wreck that for so long before people upstream are going to notice. Wait a minute. There's no beans. I was hungry. Uh-oh. What's going on? <laughs> you know, then they start putting out articles like, we have enough gas to get through the winter if we're very frugal and it's mild. Oh, man. And it's like, that was that's the article about Europe. Not about yeah, Germany Europe. specifically, about Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like people are going to notice. And they're going to be upset. And then they're going to notice also that these bank people seem to just be, and these CEOs of, I don't know, Pfizer and Moderna are just loaded with cash. And where did they get that cash? <laughs> Mostly from the government. What did, where did the government get it? From us. Or they just printed it out of thin air. Yeah, and they made it which out, yeah. is from us, because what that does is devalues our currency to create more currency to give to them. Yeah. And so people are going to notice. So they have had a timer running since they initiated some of these policies. And there might have been other policies that they initiated earlier. The border policies are another example. They've, they've had a timer ticking over their heads to where what's going to happen is, and I said just a few minutes ago, we are not at the critical mass of people who understand. But when enough people understand, they are, and I'll spell it for your algorithm, F-U-C-K-E-D, big time. And they know they are. Okay. And so they are rushing rushing, rushing, and things are not going according to plan. Omicron came into the world. Maybe we should all thank God. Maybe that's Eru Ilovata nudging the world to create another another variant that is super contagious, super mild, transcends whatever um, topic you're not allowed to talk about on the internet yeah. so that it becomes irrelevant and busts apart that entire uh, mass line of action. For example, different things have come. The ball has bounced. The plinko chip has has plinkoed in ways that <laughs> they didn't want and didn't need. And people are actually catching on very, very quickly now. In fact, I think I, I, I know another person. Uh, one more thing you're not allowed to say on the Internet. I have a new friend. I mentioned Ed Dowd. I was talking to Bannon the other day. <laughs> and, uh, Ooh. Yeah, Steve. He's, he hasn't been banned yet. He's still out and about. I mean, he's got his war room. Um, but I was there you know, the, we were doing the in-person thing. We were, we we're actually physically in the same room talking to one another. and um, Smoking cigars? No, I don't do that. He wasn't either. Um, okay. Bannon and I were talking, though, and, and it is, the, the rate at which people are waking up right now, that something is wrong because of forced and unforced errors on the part of what's going on, is just astonishing. I was on a plane. I was on a plane. Imagine I was on a plane. Oh, a, a plane story. Oh, another plane story. And this is lady. <laughs> so the whole internet will say that I made this up and everybody clapped. Nobody clapped. I'm talking to this older lady. She's married to this professor. 
He's a few rows back. I was like, "Do you want me to change seats so you can sit with oh, your husband?" She's nice like, "We've been." You. She's Talk like, about "Social on... ritual." Oh, I know, but she's like, "No, we've been on vacation together for like three weeks." <laughs> like, no, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I feel you." And so we're talking, and she's like, "I think Trump is a dictator." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, this is gonna be a rough ride." She's like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "Yeah, get ready, lady." And so I was like, you know, I study Marxism. I talk about Marxism, mostly to conservative organizations. And she was like, oh, I don't know almost anything about Marxism. And I was thinking, that's why you think Trump's a dictator. But OK. Um, mm-hmm. So we get talking and she, Trump, blah, 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 this and that. And it was right after that Mar-a-Lago raid, like the week after. Right. And what does she say? She's like, but I think that that raid they did on Mar-a-Lago is wrong. That's not American. That violates his constitutional rights. That's what she said. People are waking up. This <laughs> the fact that something's weird. You know, the dark Brandon's up there screaming at Independence Hall, and then he's trying to shake hands with ghosts when he goes anywhere. He's calling out to dead people because he can't remember what's going on. God. People are noticing that some stuff isn't lining up. Okay, so there's there's two ways to move this conversation forward toward um, alternatives or toward uh, getting people to have a seat at the table. There's the mass, the the normies, the people who are waking up can't get their beans. What do they do? But I want to go back to what you were talking about. About um, the most important the, thing they can do right now, by the way, is tell two friends. Tell two friends. Yeah. Okay. Tell two friends. Tell two. What? this seems a little weird, doesn't it? Why don't we look into this? Like, do you know some of the explanations for why things are, are happening are happening? Tell two friends. And some of them, it's going to be like, ah, well, you stop talking to that person hmm. about this. At least you can say friends with them, but you don't talk to them. Okay. Not time for you yet. And then you find two friends who are suspicious and you basically evangelize to them. That, the world's out of whack, and there are okay. explanations for why the world's out of whack. Okay. And if you really want to get – like it's best if you're informed enough to be able to say that the real problems boil down to the sustainable development goals, the ESG criteria that serve them, and the social-emotional learning that they're using to brainwash kids in school. Sustainability, justice, right? So there's the social and then the financial aspects mm-hmm. basically. Well, speaking. there's the educational and then there's – so there's uh, really it's the top-down and bottom-up aspects is what it is. Yeah. The top-down aspect is the public-private partnership. That's your ESG. The bottom-up aspect is the indoctrinated and brainwashed children that they use SEL to transform into left bots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, NPCs running around. Yeah. Yeah. But just to retract to my other question, you said that under – what, Fink? He's got this big pyramid, right? And he's got a bunch of ambitious people. Wait a like, like You made think. no noise for a second on my end. Sorry. Am I? Well, it was when you were doing the hand thing. You're making noise now. Sorry. Okay. So you, you said, uh, I just, I envisioned yeah, a pyramid point. where Fink has a bunch of people, a bunch of financial people, like working up, working up, trying to get power or resources, either money or power, money and power. And you said that eventually enough of those people are going to realize that this uh, pyramid, this Tower of Babel is going to crash. It's going to mm-hmm. crash. So they want to go somewhere else. How do you develop or design or what your ideas about an alternative incentive structure for people's ambition? For the, I think for it's the people there. who want to be I don't be think elite? it's ever gone away. I think we just stopped looking at it. What is it? The existing economy. There is still shareholder capitalism in the world. Shareholder capitalism still exists. 
you can still run a company with the objective of maximizing return to your shareholders. You can still do that. But it's not unified. So you're talking about a bunch, like thousands upon thousands of businesses. Okay. It doesn't have, it shouldn't be unified. We don't want a competing unified thing because that's just stepping out of the frying pan into the fire. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking that the people who really, really, really want power are going to go toward the unified thing. They're going to go toward whatever is centralized. So I'm just wondering, how do you plug that ambition into something that's not centralized? It seems like there's a certain cast of people who want to be a part of the pyramid. They want Mm -hmm. to rule the world. Mm -hmm. And if you can incentivize them in a way that doesn't destroy the world... Maybe you're saying that there's no possibility of doing that, that we should just say there's there's no pyramid here. There's no one world order. There's no. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think the pyramid's falling. I think I don't think it's going to fall. I think it's in free fall. OK. And that because the how do you say this softly? <laughs> the global financial system. Is a fraud. And the bill is coming due. And there are people who are very high up in finance who know this, whereas 99 plus percent of the population does not know this yet. Mm-hmm. And this is the argument that I borrow from Mr. Dowd. And he says, as those people start to realize it, all we're dealing with now, there is no changing that circumstance. All there is is making sure that the correct people get blamed and held accountable for it rather than. <laughs> The incorrect people. And these people work as what they're working, their scheme right now, the thing they're working for isn't to uphold the existing pyramid. It is to build a structure where they can deflect the blame entirely. And so what you do is you continue to expose, continue to hold to account, continue to embarrass, continue to get them to – like Bill Gates hasn't broken ranks, but he came out and basically gave this whole like interview speech about how he's freaking out like this isn't going to work. That's a gigantic signal. That's not that's not a small thing. But if the entire global financial system collapses, how would there ever be enough capital, virtual or otherwise, to do any sort of shareholder capitalism? If the entire like if the USD and the Russian well, dollar it's not or whatever go to is zero. Okay. I mean, there's still capital. People still own factories. People still own trucks. People still own, um, you know, businesses. People still can work. People still own. But the method of exchange, the money itself, loses all. If that loses all, yeah, but if that loses the power that it has, if that loses value, then none of that stuff is going to operate because nobody's going to be able to. Afford. Bad time to be a guy that pushes numbers around in that particular currency on a bank sheet then, isn't it? Good time to know how to grow food and wield a pitchfork. Okay. So Ed's prediction that he said is that it's going to be 10 years of living hell. Period. And I'm just looking at the map behind you. It's going to be different layers of hell depending on where you are on that map. Well, that's how it always goes. Yeah. That's the standard privilege argument. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's probably going to be pretty shitty for people in Europe. It's going to be fairly shitty for people in North America. It's probably going to be really shitty for people in South America. China is a toss-up. Russia is a toss-up. Africa is probably going to continue on as Africa. Yeah. It's like in this like almost sweet spot of not developed enough 
to not get R-E-K-T. Wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Australia is a prison colony, so I don't even know what to talk about with Australia. (laughs) Well, we can get Claire Lim Lim on. Uh, You guys can talk about that at some point. Yeah, we can get get Claire on here to just say (laughs) shit that's wrong, but sound really smart and patient. I'm sorry, Claire. I'm not. I know you're not, but... um... I am literally, so I know you're friends with, with Mr. Nana, and I think you spoke with Mike Nana the other day. And I think that the, like, M- Mike and I vibe on a lot of stuff, but we also, like, kind of don't on some stuff. Hmm. But, like, I don't think it's possible for me to be more in absolute consilience with somebody than I am with Mike Nana on rage at the milk, what milk toast, lukewarm, better than you centrists. These people are not only useless, they're arrogant about how useless they are. They're like, well, the world seems like it's going very bad, but it's not going that bad for me. And it's because there's extremes on both sides that it's hmm. bad for others. And it's like, oh, my God. Okay, wait, wait, so, But you said that uh, I mixed, just to— I mixed two people together there that are literally two individuals I was thinking of that are I, in this I, category of people. I can, this I bourgeois, can intellectual, very smart. I have nothing positive to say about a single member of that group of people or anybody who aspires to be with them, to yeah. be patted on the head by them, anything. Not a single positive thing. I hope they can enjoy their lives. That's all I got for them. Okay. So earlier on, you said it's not time to go reactionary. If you're against the centrists and you're against the leftists and you're against the reactionaries, like what the fuck are you talking about then? Like, what is this map? Have you read the Federalist Papers? Okay. You know what the Constitution says. Not even the Constitution. They don't go after the Constitution. They go after the Bill of Rights. Do you know what your rights are? Have you read the Federalist Papers? Do you know what the Federalist Papers are about? Because what we've done is slowly slide in this country into the argument of the Anti-Federalist Papers, out of the argument of the Federalist Papers, which at the time won. So slowly over centuries, starting, let's say, in the 1860s very significantly, and we just won't talk too much about the details of that, we started to slide into an anti-federalist regime. The federal government grew in scope and power. And then we mm-hmm. later we have Woodrow Wilson, and it grows in scope and power tremendously. FDR. And we have FDR, yes. and it grows in scope and power tremendously. Yeah. Then we had this entire debacle of the 1960s and 70s, and dot, dot, dot. And so what we have is a situation where we have slid into the anti-federalist circumstance. So what would be the solution to have it without going into reactionary kings and rulers and monarchical episcopates and all this, you know, the legend of the dickhead who pulled a sword out of a stone (laughs) by a water cart, so he gets to be king. Like, look, the the fucking king right now, by the way, is ESG, is Mr. Great Reset. Maybe we shouldn't have kings. I'm just saying. What are you looking at? You're looking at what did the Constitution say? It says— all these number nine bill of rights number nine amendment nine all the powers not here go to the people all the number 10 all the powers not here go to the states in other words make this shit as local as possible the federal government should be very small the state governments it's up to the states what they want to do if they want to be california look at it it's a glorious place to live I saw the somebody sent me a video the other day of them literally driving like two miles across the border in Arizona. I think it was Arizona. Might have been, might have been 
been Nevada, but I think it was Arizona, sent me a video. Him, him, personally him, driving. It's not like a YouTube. It's like his video, right? He sends it to me. Him crossing the border. Gas in Arizona, like three whatever a gallon. Gas in California, literally $2.05 more a gallon. You can, if you were a good, you had a good arm on you, you could throw a baseball from one to the other. $2 a gallon. Yeah, so if California wants to fuck up, let them fuck up. Mm-hmm. But the state governments, that's up to the states. But the idea really should be that the power is going more and more and more and more to the people and less and less and less and less to these, not just the government, but the bureaucrat, the gigantic bureaucratic apparatus that they've created to mm-hmm. attempt to manage large-scale industrial commun- uh How companies. do you dismantle that? I don't think that's possible to dismantle without some sort of radical change. Oh, it will no, be sorry. a radical change, but it doesn't have to be a reactionary change. You can actually be bending directly into the direction of the Constitution by severely curtailing and limiting the powers of these agencies. Um, yeah, but you'd have to have a really strong leader to do that. You'd actually, well, again, sorry with the sorry with the Arvin. He his his trajectory is that you get a strong enough person, Elon Musk go in there, fire everybody, and strip it all down and install people who are competent to do the minimal amount possible. So you'd actually have to have a monarch for a point, period of time to dismantle the oligarchy. That's what he's saying, is that I this mean, entire... Teddy Roosevelt was certainly a powerful person, but he wasn't a monarch. All he did was he slammed the door on the corporations and made sure those antitrust laws got passed through Congress. Well, didn't his brother do the exact opposite? He gained all the power and then he installed uh, I mean, everything that we have now at FDR. But that doesn't change the fact of the one guy. He wasn't yeah. a monarch and was able to actually slam the door on the corporations when yeah. this same problem really arose a hmm. hundred and change years ago. And it is the same problem. Hmm. It is that the way that you can circumvent the government in its role of securing the powers for the people is by building corporate monopolies. The power is always monopolistic. It's in the communism always works by establishing monopoly in its own name. All it is is a gigantic scam, a gigantic like scheme to, to make sure that they get to run the big monopoly over everything. They call it the dictatorship of the proletariat. Mm, 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 mm. And so, no, you don't need a friggin' monarch. You need the opposite of that. What you need. And in fact, you don't even need a ruler or a leader I mean, a great a president coming in and firing a bunch of people is fine, but it doesn't change the underlying architecture. A Congress, on the other hand, which turns out to be made out of 535 people, not one person. A Congress, on the other hand, deciding to, I don't know, put forth a bill as of, you know, next Monday, the Federal Department of Education no longer exists. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. (laughs) Taken care of. This is a completely different path. And this is the path that was envisioned by our founders. This is something my, my, my new friend Steve likes to say a lot, is that if our founders came back and looked at what they were what's going on in the world right now right. he would be like are you people morons why we built this not to allow an oligarchy to come into being why is there an oligarchy here mm-hmm. are you people idiots and so this is I, I don't think so have you ever heard my analogy of the bat this is right up your alley i think uh like the flippy flappy bat or the no the bat of society knocky. like bat, a baseball okay. bat of society. okay yeah. not like not like where covid didn't come from no it didn't different kind of bat like the kind yeah. that you hit a ball with or if you're on walking <laughs> dead you put barbed wire around the end of okay. or if you're like the adams family or whatever it was you put a nail through it you know right. that kind let's of bat. stop with what you could do with it's the Halloween. bat right there okay all right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, don't go any further with the phallic object. Let's just leave it with the 
nails on it. So what's your analogy of the bat? Okay. So imagine that this is a good analogy. I've done like a ton of podcasts on this, but they're all in the <laughs> private secret podcasts that mm. I do. Okay. So imagine that the goal of society, like the society functioning is the idea of keeping a bat upright. Okay. All I have to do is point up to the sky by any means. And that means society's functioning. Okay. Hmm. There are a lot of ways that you can make the bat point upright. One of the ways that you can very obvious way is that you grab the bat and you hold it upright. There's Yarvin's king. And the benefit of the bat being held is that you can hit people with it when and they don't do you, what you can want. hold the person who's hitting people with it accountable. How are you going to hold the person hitting the person with the bat accountable if there's only one bat? Uh, well, you set up a system of other bats to hold the people accountable. The, no, no, that's no. There's only one, one bat. efficient thing about like the CEO. There's the CEO is accountable to the shareholders, right? The CEO is effectively a monarch. He can make all the decisions, but the that board of trustees and then the shareholders keep him, keep yeah, him in line. powers. Yeah. Right. So this is what I'm saying. As, as a matter of fact, rather than them swinging bats at one another, what the liberal system, what the federal system that we, we devised in the late 18th century looks like is balancing the bat on the palm of your hand to keep it upright. It takes a lot of energy to move your hand around and make sure it stays up. But nobody can grab it. Nobody can. You cannot hit somebody with a bat that way. Hmm. It's vulnerable to, be, to being knocked over in a way that holding the bat is not. It's vulnerable to perturbations. In other words, somebody's free speech could allow them to agitate for a revolution. It could allow them to agitate for communism. It could allow them to agitate for fascism. They can agitate for those things. That's their free speech rights. In other words, the bat is balanced on the on their hand, and nobody gets to, like, oh, you fascists, whack. That doesn't get to happen. The problem is, is what's happened is people have grabbed the bat already. And what you're saying is, no, 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 we need to take the bat away from them, and we're going to hold it. When the answer is, nobody holds the bat. The bat's hmm. balanced on our hand. The invisible hand of the market, maybe. It's balanced. We have to, we, we cannot allow people to wield the bat. If Curtis had done more reading than Westphalia or whatever the fuck he reads all the time and had bothered to read anything Chinese, he would know about the bad emperor problem. China's whole history, which is not 5,000 years of a continuous country, that's a communist fabrication. China's whole history has been one wheeling cycle of the bad emperor problem, which is emperors are great. Kings are great when they're good. But you only need one to throw your whole pile, uh, uh, the whole country into into disarray. Let me give you an example of the bad emperor problem in action so it's not so abstruse. Okay. Imagine that you had a gigantic federal apparatus under the control of the executive branch of the American government. And then Joe Biden becomes president. And in 18 months, the country's a shithole. That's the bad emperor problem. So what do you do? Ah, the problem is, is that one guy, the executive, has way too much hand on the bat. What do you do? You take his fucking hand off the bat. That's what you do. How? You dismantle the level of freewheeling control over the administrative apparatus that he has. Okay. Um, it's questionable how much power Joe Biden actually has, but that well, is Well, I mean, another... yeah. Who is the president? Nobody knows. Yeah. Joe Biden can't wipe his ass. He, he, but to go back to he doesn't your... have any power. Your path or your plan or whatever is is to staff Congress with people who call out the bullshit. The amount of energy it takes to elect one president is tremendous. The amount mm -hmm. of energy it would take to dewoke and base, just to use really cringy terms, 
the entire Congress. You're talking about six years because it's staggered elections. But we don't would, need a would, whole Congress. I mean, well, look how much fucking the, 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 what do they call it? The squad, the Justice Democrat squad. That's five people. Look how much they did. Well, they bent they the entire Democratic caucus. Okay. Have they really, though? I, yes, they other really than have. Optically. Non-negotiable. They absolutely have. Shit like AOC, Cory Bush, et cetera, for the exact same reason. These idiots have bent Congress for the fucking same reason that when I talk to the people in charge— uh, No, they aren't people in charge. I talked to people high up in the New York Times a number of years ago, right before COVID, hmm. and they were whining to me about Nicole Hannah-Jones. This was— if, 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 Bitch ass Nicole found out about this. She's going to throw a fit. They wanted to get rid of her. They wanted to get rid of her for months and months and months and months before this point when I'm having this conversation in early 2020 with these people. Yeah. And I was like, you want my advice? Fire her. Take it on the chin. Deal with it. They're like, we can't. She has a gigantic Twitter following and will create a PR nightmare by calling the institution racist and saying that the New York Times fired her for racist reasons. This is the only damn thing that these like five idiots in Congress consistently do. They call every they, they push really radical crap and they say everybody who doesn't do it is some kind of a horrible PR thing that they're then going to have to go battle it out with their damn constituents for like the next six months and can't do anything productive. You yeah. actually don't don't need that many. Marjorie Taylor Greene is literally one person and has actually turned the – she's actually moved the needle considerably. One. Now imagine if you had like 30 of them. The, the oversized power of the so-called squad relies not on Larry Fink but on the education system. They are relying on the sympathies of a mass of people who have been programmed or educated or indoctrinated to I believe agree. in the same thing that they believe. So yeah, but in order for on that too, in order for somebody like um, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Sarah Palin or, or a conservative or a centrist or a classical liberal to be able to have that footprint, they would have to have activated people. They would have to have the energy of the public. Ever seen a Trump rally, Mr. Boyce? Okay. Well, that's what <laughs> I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, people. so there are so, activated people all over this country. Okay. By the tens of millions. Okay. In fact, that's what I think. I think that this is another piece. Well, yeah, that but I they're all semi-fascist. Our president is calling those people enemies of the state. Yeah, good. Thank you. That's how you activate more of them. Okay. I actually think that Joe Biden, yet again, you and I talked. I voted for Trump. Everybody knows I voted for Trump. I said that Joe Biden was going to be an unmitigated disaster. Of course, I was right. But if you, and I think maybe you did, if you asked me, what was your argument? You, if you had an argument for Biden, what is it? It's like he's going to give it away. He's going to be so horrible that everyone's going to be like, oh, my God. And so this is a piece that I think gets left out a lot is I don't think people realize because they talk to a bunch of like 20-year-olds who are brainwashed to the point where they're either one way or the other and fairly extreme. But if you talk to anybody else, woke is really losing currency. Mm. It's really cringy at this point. Like yeah. they roll out some woke crap and everybody's like, oh, God, are you serious? It's cringe. So that giant base that the, of indoctrinated stuff, they don't have that anymore. In fact, what they have is a bunch of people that are realizing they got lied to and manipulated and they're pissed about it. There are a lot more people in this country who, if they weren't getting whacked off of YouTube or whacked off of social media or Twitter or whatever, or 
hounded out of their job or yelled at by somebody in their family and not having any idea what's happening, which is very different than getting yelled at by somebody and knowing what's happening, hmm. who are way behind people like MTG than there are people who are behind people like AOC. Now, regionally, not true. Rome, Georgia, of course, which is where uh, Marjorie's from, tons of people behind Marjorie. But you go to Brooklyn and you have a bunch of damn Jesse Singal walking around not knowing his ass from a hole in the ground thinking, well, if this is so bizarre that all this is still happening, it's so bizarre. How could it be? I don't understand. It's bizarre. It's just weird. It's not fucking weird. It's communism, you asshole. And so there's a bunch of these like idiots in these kind of cushy urban areas who don't know any better. And I will say, I think you asked me a long time ago, Do you, would you say that your opponents have false consciousness? And I was like, no, no, that would be inappropriate. Bullshit. Yes, they do. <laughs> of course they do. They don't have the fucking slightest idea what's going on in the world. They think it's 1992 okay. and everything's just weird. Okay. Totally false consciousness. They're, I read One Dimensional Man last week, Herbert Marcuse. They are One Dimensional Man. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know that one. I was just thinking about uh, CS. The entire system has conditioned their thoughts so that they only know how to reproduce the existing system. So they are one dimensional rather than two dimensional. They can't see outside of the existing system and see a critical or a transgressive dimension to reality. They can't possibly argue a a transgressive belief. Like, for example, I listened to a podcast. It was one of these literally communists interviewing a literally communist education theorist of great fame by the name of Henry Giroux. And the host, if I remember correctly, some Samara or Samsara, Samara Taylor, who is an open, when I say a communist, open communist, open communist. She's the one that shared the megaphone famously with AOC after Roe v. Wade fell apart. Literal communist, and it made all this headlines. So she's the host, and she's saying about the Mar-a-Lago raid, she's like, well, we know that Trump wants to done something really bad and he's about to go down because the FBI wouldn't have done that unless he did something very bad. That's one-dimensional man. That's one-dimensional thinking. Two-dimensional thinking is maybe the FBI is fucking corrupt. Maybe it's fake. That's two, fake news, two-dimensional thinking. And, and so three. their entire program has turned inward on themselves completely turned in on themselves. And so I think that the, what do you call it? The sandbag in their fight, right? The sandbag on their their side. I guess it's some kind of fishing thing because it's in all my damn suggested posts <laughs> on, on Instagram right now that apparently in Ohio or somewhere, there's the muskie fishing and they apparently put sinkers in their guts so they weigh more when they weigh them and they can win the tournament oh, yeah, yeah, catching yeah, the yeah, fish, yeah. right? They're sinkers that all these people bought into this is toast. Now, that's not to say it's over, because they have their Hail Mary. And, like, Tebow or whoever it is that can throw that thing, Mahoney's or whatever his name is, that can throw a football all the way across the field, which is what they need right now, is called social-emotional learning. And the receiver, whoever that is, is called social-emotional learning, is going to catch that shit and brainwash the kids. But I think it's actually going to break kids Honestly, but this is why it's so crucial. When I said that this thing, there are three acronyms you need to know, three things that are happening. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, that's the target. And then there are two mechanisms. The mechanisms are ESG, which is the public-private partnership top-down control. Mm -hmm. And then there is, which will become a social credit system that will become like a complete mechanism of control if it's allowed to. And -hmm. then there's the social-emotional learning. And there's nothing good about social-emotional learning. However much you trust it, you trust it way too much. If you trust it negative 100 out of 100, you trust it 
way too much. It's hmm. really, really devious. It's really, really bad. Nothing good about it. Having read extensively, not just their own writing about it, but also reading what the World Economic Forum wants to do with it, what UNESCO wants to do with it, what the OECD wants to do with it, what USAID wants to do with it. And they write these papers. They put them out all the time. And so, it, it's their, it is their Hail Mary, which is we're going to brainwash enough kids not to be able to think any other way using social emotional manipulation to do it while gathering reams of data about, uh, on them so as to build the program of control and the world they're going to step into in a new way mm -hmm. so that it's basically seamless. We're going to do this, and that's their Hail Mary. It's everybody in the whole society turns on it, and it's you're literally right back to Adolf, who's saying, yeah, you resist us, but what are you? You will pass away. We have your children. Hmm. They're in the rhymes with Bittler youth. So it sounds like, just to kind of try to get a, a bat-eye view or echolocation of, of the lay of the land, that there is economic disaster coming, which is a ticking time bomb. And that stress on the system will not allow the people who are controlling the narrative and also implementing all this stuff to actually have enough time to implement everything. That's right. And I then think they're also gonna, they're they're running out of time. That's right. And the time is ticking pretty quick now because of the whole I think that they already are too slow. Like they already lost. I actually okay. think woke for sure, by the way, is a zombie ideology. We can talk about that if you want in a minute too. And then there is the political energy to reinstitute something sane that will actually is already there, um, is kind of uh, I, I guess um, disconnected from itself because of all these channels and echo chambers and uh, it's not being pumped through CNN all the time. Right. So the, people don't know that other people are thinking the same way. People don't know that other people are seeing that this is crazy. This isn't going to work. That political power, that political will is still, it's, it's still dormant, but it's kind of coming online and, and it's going to kind of move forward. So how do you channel that will to implement something and I guess you're saying go regional? It would, would, I do, would yeah. Would that be your so suggestion? So we actually are going to retool their program, which is think global, go local. Only we're not really thinking global. We're thinking just in terms of, you know, preserving the globe. <laughs> but hmm. working locally, if they can't implement it in your town because you're able to network and feed yourselves and your sheriff is like, no, we're not doing this, they have a big problem on their hands. How big is the problem? I'll tell you. I'm reading this UNESCO document. I'm doing a series of podcasts about this UNESCO document about transforming the higher education institutions to be 100%. They say every every higher education institution in the world, not just colleges, not just universities, professional schools, trades, every, every higher educational institution, not in the country, in the world, is supposed to be dedicating itself as soon as possible. They don't give a, a deadline date, but they do have a deadline date implicitly because it's to Agenda 2030. And specifically, achieving the 17 Sustainable Development Goals of Agenda 2030, ASAP. Every university is, they said, to rewrite their mission statements. Every higher education institution. Okay, but then they say, hmm. what happens if every single one doesn't do it? What if there are some that don't do this? Well, then we might not achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. We might not get the goals unless everybody does it. What, what are these goals thing. just in, in brief, like a population 
There are 17 of them, which makes them hard to remember, but they're like yeah. the complete eradication of poverty in all of its forms. They're like the complete eradication of disease in all of its forms. I mean, they're very stupidly aspirational. And did a, did a 16-year-old write these things? <laughs> I mean, Greta might have. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. How but dare it's, you? It's, it's carte blanche, then. It's just like, we're, we're going to achieve the elimination of poverty, therefore give me complete power to go through and take all that's your right. money. Because I'm, I'm, I mean, we can look them up. The 17 yeah, you know, goals it, to transform our world, they call okay. it. Okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering, because he said section 230, so is that like No, population? agenda 2030. Okay. Agenda 2030. Which, which is, is getting what, the world population down everybody's to like, oh my god, that's a conspiracy point. theory. How can it be a conspiracy theory? They're like, ever this is this isn't me James, riffing. This is they what write they these say. things. They don't really mean these things. They're just statements. Yeah. They're just words on a web page. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like there's like name one of their documents that hasn't become policy that everybody's bound by and asking how the hell did this happen? Um, so that anyway, they think that everything has to go with them or they're screwed. Okay. So if you have localities not going with them. You have, let's say, Pima County, Arizona, like, we're not doing this shit anymore. And, you know, I don't know, I'd have to pick one, like Hamilton County, Tennessee, we're not doing this. Or, you know, Ron DeSantis's Florida, we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. Or the guy, the, the um, Secretary of the Treasury and the Attorney Generals of, say, Kentucky or West Virginia or Utah or whatever, saying, we're not doing this. We're not doing – they have a big problem on their hands. They need massive, massive, massive buy-in. So rather mm -hmm. than saying, oh, my God, we need this huge reactionary solution, what we actually need is we need a lot of people putting enough pressure on their local politicians, their local circumstances to say, you know what? Do what you want. But we're not. We're not going to go along with this. And you start getting that at the level of a handful of states that start to kind of team up and have each other's backs, and they are in bad, bad, bad shape. And you don't have to have some, like, institute the new Trogdor king of the United States of America to control everything for one generation yeah, as if. You, you give the power to a king, you think the king's going to give it back? No, they're not. That's ridiculous. That's preposterous. That's like saying if we just gave the power to Schwab to transition us through this weird transition in the fourth industrial revolution, that everything will be okay and they'll relinquish power afterwards. Or you give all the power to Stalin because when the power reaches its zenith, that's when. That's when the party becomes useless and we don't need it anymore. We'll just wither away and we'll have well, a stateless, classless society. In order to strip America of the federal government, which how much uh, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even bring up this number, but it's swallowing like 30, 40 percent of uh, gross domestic production. Right. It's just this huge. It's this it's a huge. It's an it's out huge. of control monster at this point. So there's we don't need hundreds of thousands of, of people. We there's need hundreds of start... thousands of people relying on that to strip uh -huh. them of their income. What what do you do with that? How how do you begin to dismantle that? But what you're saying is that it will have to happen. You would have to dissolve that. I mean, for the temporary portion of time, you actually could have people continuing to work. You just have to limit the power of the thing. Hmm. And then they can start to be phased out. They don't need to be doing this crap. But if you limit – but I don't, I'm actually okay with them figuring out what they're going to do with their lives otherwise and doing something more productive. We, we're not talking about zombie econ or the zombie ideology yet, but I will point out that there's a very elegant argument 
there is a, is a very elegant argument for why the government turns out not to be the best. It can do some things that no, nothing else can do. I actually do believe in blended economies or mixed economies. I'm not mm-hmm. a full-blown Keynesian. But I do think that it can do some things that nothing that the private sector cannot accomplish, and therefore it has a role. But here's the thing. Everything that it does that can be accomplished by the private sector, it does not just badly, but way worse than the private sector. There's a very simple and elegant argument that's almost too simplistic, but I keep thinking about it, and I'm thinking this is this is about it. And it's this argument – I heard this at a, at a conference fairly recently – um, so I want to make sure that it's pointed out that I didn't think this up myself, um, but that there are essentially three different orientations in terms of how purchasing decisions are made. It's very simple. And so all purchasing decisions have to balance in some way cost and quality. How much are you willing to pay and how good of a thing do you want? When you're the person buying for yourself, in other words, the private sector, in some sense, when you're the person buying for yourself, you care about cost. You care about quality. Therefore, you are going to optimize those competing variables for yourself. And you have both of them are pressures upon your thought. If I buy you a cup of coffee, I care about the cost, but you care about the quality. And now we have a a disparity. That's me being a corporation, as a matter of fact. I care about the cost. How much does it cost me to produce this crap? But you care about the quality. So you can put pressure on me to make sure that I'm going to make a quality, a high enough quality product. And if there's a competitor that adds a ton of pressure on me, vice versa, if you're buying me a cup of coffee, you care about cost, but I don't. So I don't care about cost, but I care about quality. So I'm like, yeah, I want the one with the sprinkles, like the $9 coffee Mm. with whipped cream and sprinkles or whatever Mm. that I don't actually want because it's the most expensive thing on the menu. Not really, but you know what I mean? But then when you get the, the government's nowhere here yet, the government actually works in what is called a that's a second person purchasing decision. So you have a first person person. This is a second person. The government operates in a third person purchasing decision. They're using somebody else's money. So they don't care about cost to buy things they're not going to use. So they don't care about quality. Therefore, it's not that they are incentivized to to screw it up. It's that they're not incentivized to optimize. They have no actual incentive to optimize other than whatever public blowback they're going to get, which when you're mm-hmm. talking about, say, legislators who are going to be elected again in two years or six, there's some accountability there. When you go to bureaucrats who are there as lifers, as career bureau- they do not have any realistic incentives to get it right unless it's their boss hollering, hollering at them for some reason or another. The problem is, is that they can buy something that's absolutely junk for absolutely too much money because they don't care about how much it costs. They just need to get something to fill the box and they don't care about how good it is because they're not the one that's going to have to deal with it. And you have to rely on people who are doing the right thing, which sure, most people want to do that most of the time. I'm not disagree. Even in the government, most people want to do the right thing most of the time. I think they want to do the best job they can. But the matter of fact is when they just have to make a decision, and they have to make that decision like kind of now, it's going to slip or they're having a bad day or they missed a detail or the corruption came in. Some lobbyist came in and said, blah, 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 blah. And this is what we're going to do. There are lots and lots and lots of reasons that these people are going to make bad decisions that are not optimal to the cost versus quality trade-off that's at the heart of every decision process when it comes to purchasing things. It's a very simple argument that the government as a purchaser, as a primary purchaser, is in no way incentivized to get that problem right. 
And so probabilistically or statistically speaking, they will get it wrong more often than somebody who can, who cares more about one or both of the variables. And so what does that tell you? It tells you, should there be no government? No, I think that's ridiculous. I think the government can achieve things that the private sector can't achieve very well. And so, and in fact, regulatory. But it needs to be accountable. It needs to be sovereign, but accountable somehow. Right. So it has superpowers, but also is limited in some But respect. I'm saying that it's okay to just shrink the damn thing down and take the people, you're like, well, their salaries depend on that. Well, let them do something more productive. Yeah. I'm just saying they're going to be up in arms about that. Talk about a pitchfork army and they have all your data, James. I mean, they are listening to everything that you're doing. You're talking Everybody about the NSA. Everybody has all of our data now, actually. Yeah. That, it's a massive problem. It is a massive, massive problem. Um, but no, some rando bureaucrat in the Department of Education doesn't have all my data. And what are they going to do? Leak it? Well, then we'll sue them. You know, we still have some things going for us. Mm. Yeah. Well, law is a whole other conversation. But let's go back to what you're saying about woke. And maybe we can bridge it by saying, how did the woke infect the government? How would the idea, the constellation of beliefs and axiomatic principles that we call wokeness perfectly adapt itself to a system like the federal government or why, what would the federal government sure. make it susceptible to a moral structure? Well, I mean, would be it's the bureaucratic apparatus is kind of at the heart of that. There are two explanations that both of which are relevant. One is that, as you've already mentioned, and Curtis Yarvin seems to be persuaded strongly by, and I have obviously argued before, by the way, this Today is the anniversary of the day that the Grievance Studies Affair made the front page of the New York Times. Really? Yeah. A fourth anniversary of it hitting the New York Times. It came out three days ago, four years ago. So four years plus three days ago. On the okay. second, oh, it landed. Today's the fifth. Yeah. Mazel tov. Good, good work. Eventually that movie is going to be But the fact of the matter is, what the, so this is, this is, this is a big point and we'll come back to the second point, which is the bureaucratic apparatus. We can't lose that one. But the big point is in fact that the cultural Marxists or critical Marxists, whichever one you want to blame and Rudy Deutschke with the long march of the institutions and Herbert Mm -hmm. Marcuse quoting him and making a huge point about it in, in counter revolution and revolt in 1972 understood something very important which is that if you capture the universities, and in particular you capture the colleges of education, then you capture the teachers, and if you capture the teachers, you capture everybody else. Yes. Right? And so you're creating a pipeline there of yes. indoctrinated people. And Marcuse was explicit. I wish I could quote the whole thing from memory. I could probably find it in <laughs> – I actually – let's just find it. I have it like right here, counter-revolution and revolt. Um, uh, I think it's – he says, do the thing. The right thing? No. Wow. Um, programmer. I know he's talking about computer programs. He only says program like six times. So uh, Program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To extend the base of the student movement, Rudy Deutschke has proposed a strategy of the long march through the institutions, working against the established institutions while working in them. Yes. But not simply by boring from within but rather by doing the job, learning how to program and read computers, learning how to teach at all levels of education, learning how to use the mass media, learning how to organize production, how to recognize and issue planned obsolescence, how to design, etc. And at the same time, preserving one's own consciousness and working 
with the others. The long march includes the concerted effort to build up counter institutions. They have lo- that's Gramsci, the idea that you're going to build a counter hegemony within the institution that you have. They, they have they, long they been They've the aim of the movement, but the lack of funds was greatly responsible for their weakness and their inferior quality. They must be made competitive. This is especially important for the development of radical free media. So blah, 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 getting into the media. But they understood that if you get into the education system, if you get into the education system, then you can do some crazy stuff because everything in a sense is downstream from education. Now, I want to bring this up just as a tangent. We don't have to go into this. But by the way, this works in education, obviously, right? Yeah. What's, What's the program? Capture the colleges of education. Then you capture the teachers. Then you capture the students. Yeah. They are repeating this right now in all of our religious organizations. If you capture the seminaries, then you capture the pastors, then you capture the laity. And a but lot of the faithful don't recognize that this move has been done before. And the mechanism that they used, which is critical pedagogy, which they did in the education field, doubles, if you read Paulo Ferreri, he's explicit about this, it doubles that it applies to the religious institutions as well. So the same thing's happening to capture faith, where, as Klaus Schwab says— it is not enough to use the intellectual process to change values for that you need faith. He has an entire document from 2016 on how you're going to transform the world's faiths to bolster SDGs. Oh, and good thing that they would ESG. never capture the head of the Catholic Church then. The head of the Catholic Church who you're not allowed to say in the presence of a Catholic as a Marxist, even though it's super, super, super obvious the guy's a liberation theologian for fuck's sake. Capturing the Southern Baptist Convention, which is still in its, you know, boringly protracted civil war, um, Presbyterian Church of America, yada, yada. And it's not just the Christian denominations. They're kind of at the forefront of our mind Ooh, here in the West. Woke Islam? But, yeah, there's woke Islam. Nice. There's woke woke Judaism. There's woke, well, yeah. you name it, woke yeah. Buddhism. The only thing well, yeah. that there's not is woke whatever they have in, com- in communist China. Like, they don't allow that. There's no woke Russia anymore. They don't allow that either. They call us... The other F word, yeah. and leave it at that, and then that's the end of that. Yeah. Super homophobic, but it doesn't matter because it works. And um, but do we want to be Russia, or do we want to do something better than that? That's the question, kind of circling around our entire dialogue. Okay, so the number one is that you capture the institutions that are the feeders to the public administration apparatus. But then you have to actually look at what's been going on in the public administration apparatus. There's this wonderful book called The Administrative State. It's cheerful, Mm. let me tell you. Written by a guy named Dwight Waldo in 1948, where he lays out the argument for what can be accomplished through a broad-sweeping administrative Dwight Waldo? Just to— I'm not shitting you. Dwight Waldo. Right. It's like like I keep forgetting one part or the other of his name because it's like it can't possibly be that. (laughs) The Administrative (laughs) State. it's Dwight Waldo. And it's Waldo like, where's Waldo? Yes. And so— he created, in addition to this book, the administrative state. So, what do you think grew out of that? Wait, was this was this marching orders or a critique? This was, reactionary? No, this was he was he's a public administration guy. This was this was a vision for a new okay. method of of uh, of creating uh, of Governance, organizing yeah. government yeah. was to create an administrative state, a gigantic administrative apparatus bureaucracy. Wait, Wait in nineteen forties? Didn't um... nineteen forty eight? Right after World War Two. Okay, because this this seems based on um, the Machiavellians uh, by uh, what's his name uh, Burnham, who was writing just a little bit before that, but not reactionary. So you have a bunch of reactionary theory, uh, 
writers seeing the administrative state coming on board. And then this guy says, no, we, this is a good thing. This is how we're going to build it. Just to yeah. be No, clear, this guy, he's just laying it out. Like, this okay. is what an administrative apparatus should look like. And so then he creates this conference. I'm trying to remember what it's called, the Minnowbrook. Minnowbrook, yeah. Minnowbrook Conference. Okay. And in 1968, which turned out to be a fairly fateful year in many regards, at the Minnowbrook Conference, the concept of social equity which we just call equity today, was introduced. Hmm. And it said that public administration, which has now grown for 20 years, public administration should abandon its roots of focusing on efficiency and uh, efficacy and add in a third E, which is equity. And social Hmm. equity theory is laid out, which is the intentionally, as they said in their own words, the redistribution of shares to make citizens equal, which is a.k.a. socialism, but of course, now it's got cultural aspects worked in it as well. Yeah. And so the administrative state since the 60s has been directly and openly including as a value on some level or another the idea of equity, the idea of, of redistribution. What we now refer to as equity. Emancipation, yeah. Equity is the redistribution of shares to make citizens and groups more equal or just yeah. equal. And so it's been dedicated to the intentional moving around. So th- what are we talking about again? public administration in the administrative state as laid out through the very decisive 1968 Minnowbrook Conference organized by Dwight Waldo, who was the author of the book in the 40s titled The Administrative State. And so what's going on is for 50 years, chief values of administrative organization of the federal bureaucracy and state bureaucracies has been geared toward, well, we have to at least give a mind to equity. They've made themselves increasingly susceptible to those values because the field of public administration since the sixties, at least, and maybe earlier, depending on how you read Waldo veers off in that direction. Okay. And so how did the federal government get captured? Well, it's been bending toward being captured since it was building out. What should this bureaucracy that we're building post-World War II look like? And then secondly, the universities are like working overtime to fill people to fill those those spots with people that are committed to this way of thinking. In other words, you've got the top down and the bottom up kind of happening at the same yeah. time. You've got okay. the pipeline feeding in and the organizational administrative structure being built around the people that they're feeding into the pipeline, okay. which is exactly the kind of thing that Steve Bannon is right to say that if our founding fathers saw this in process, they would have like Thomas Jefferson would have come back from the grave in 1972, looked at this four years into its advancement and been like, what in the living shit are you idiots doing? Well, he probably would have said it with a bit of a British accent and less swearing, more words that nobody says anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I'm I'm not trying to do a gotcha, James. I'm not gotcha, confronting, I'm, I'm not trying to do a gotcha, but everything you just said undermines your point earlier False. about... Uh, finances being upstream from education and bureaucracy. So, uh, no. With, no, 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 no. Could no, it not be the aspect. case? That's the public side of the public-private partnership. The reason that the private side of the could it not be the case that Fink and BlackRock and WF are no, no, simply they're latecomers? We're, they're latecomers. Exactly. So they're just exploiting the vulnerabilities. Well, no. They've they're, got the entire corporate world by the nuts. 
because the anymore. corporate world is staffed by people who have been submitted wrapped around their ball sack and it's called ESG oh. it's a ring yeah. and they're tugging them and they're like that's eh, my balls I'm coming with you and so they're all going along and then that's now advanced to where what, do, what was the article that came out just a couple of years ago Larry Fink and BlackRock constitute the de facto fourth branch of government he's so influential in the White House so into this administrative apparatus came this ability to leverage gigantic amounts of this capital yeah. to now where in the past year the SEC has been brought on board with Larry Fink's program. Well, so what you were talking yeah. about is building out the, the system of possibility that certain actors have taken massive advantage of. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that it sounds like that the ground was primed for an actor such as Fink to come in and and create with his reams of yeah, people. Yeah, it's not like everything was fine, and then Larry Fink happened. It's yeah. not anything like that. I'm just saying if if you if you just take BlackRock out of the equation, if you take that financial aspect out of the equation, you still have to deal with the bureaucracy and society itself. Yeah, but if you take BlackRock out of the equation, ExxonMobil's lobbying in the opposite direction. ExxonMobil currently has three members on its board, one-fourth of its entire corporate board, literally has 12 members. Three of them actively believe the fossil fuel industry shouldn't exist. So they actively believe that their own company that they are on the board of shouldn't exist. And where did those people come from? They were appointees in order to make the G score good for the ESG score from yeah. Larry Fink. Okay. So if you take Larry Fink out of the equation, Exxon Mobil's like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're going to go out of business and they're going to be banging on Joe Biden's door and saying, listen, Joe, why don't you back up the fossil fuel industries a little bit? This solar crap's not working. Instead, they're like, we're dedicated to the future of our planet because there was nine rings for the mortal industries doomed to die, and now they turn into yeah, ring but, rates. Uh, yeah, but, but ExxonMobil is not just bowing the, the knee to, to think. He's all, they're also being pressured by the media, too. So you have the media arm I don't of think government, they care which that is... much about the media. The media was instrumental, though. We just read that in, in Marcuse. That's their plan. Getting the media on side is crucial because then you have fairly low information politicians that are getting yeah. swayed around by the media, which is why the most valuable thing, and I've said this before and I'll say this again, for all of the things that Orange Man Good did, did you see the, the Babylon Bee joke today that he came out wearing a shirt that says Orange Lives Matter? <laughs> Trump comes out wearing a shirt that says Orange Lives Matter. And so um, anyway, of all the things that, 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 that Trump did, fake news just those two syllables is by far the most valuable and important thing that he did because he broke the spell on the media for millions upon millions of people. And that spell is breaking rapidly now because Vox and Vice and Salon and New York Times and Washington Post just can't help themselves and just publish the most asinine things ever day after okay. day after day after day to where, you know, the Babylon Bee can easily make fun of them and I can easily make fun of them. And although I don't I've, I died, I you know, I don't have a Twitter. I died. We um, should talk about that, too. But um, people talk about me being dead. They there was this. I read eulogies. There were eulogies. A hagiography or two came along like like they, they Wait, there were a, a lot of memes. Hagiography. They, oh, they saintly do. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because I am a saint. So that makes you sense. ascended into the radiant other. Uh, Elon bought or he's buying it. So you might be back. Would you come back I don't to Twitter? I want to be back. Okay. I mean, so how has it been with that Twitter? To, then? Because it's like where the weird part is that it's like I acknowledge that I'm disconnected and it's frustrating. Like I don't know what the fuck's going on in the world. Okay. Um, all I'm doing is reading these complicated long books and papers now, and I'm not paying any. I'm like, we could have had a very much different and less tense conversation about all this <laughs> religious stuff intense. that I'm reading. 
Maybe we can oh, do that. God. I have two weeks at home right now. So okay. maybe we can have a conversation about hermetic alchemy at some point soon. But, oh, um, God, okay. I knew it was going to happen. I knew you were going to go in this direction. But anyways, I'm not going in this direction. I'm saying we can do that in the future. You're going day. in this direction. What you're I'm gonna saying see. is You're going to be in your I ice bath, and Christ is going to come, and you're going to have your little Thomas Aquinas moment. I know I don't it. need that. I, you're going to have it. That when Twitter kicked me off, it immediately felt like getting cold water splashed on my face, and I'm like, yeah. what am I even doing with my life? Yeah. Like, other than the fact that I'm super busy all the time and that I don't really know what's going on and people expect me to, to, expect me to know what's going on, I'm, like, way better off. I'm super better off. And so people are like, have you made a burner account on Twitter? I'm like, hell no. I don't want to go back to that dump. And then, you know, so it's like um, Elon bought Twitter. Yay, you're coming back. And I was even on Truth, which is, like, fake Twitter, and it's which is not very engaging. And then people were like, I'll pay you to come back. And I was like... I don't really want money that bad. (laughs) I don't want to be there. It sucks. Um, But I will like probably end up grudgingly come back if my account gets reactivated and probably get sucked back into the vortex of it. Uh, What was so so sucky and vortexy for you? What was so, uh, what, what was it about it as a system that contorted your consciousness in one way or another? It didn't. Would you be able to insane amounts of my time? I don't think it was contorted. Everybody was like, oh, Twitter's making James crazy. No, I don't think it was. Okay. You want to know what makes me crazy? It's not what? Twitter. It's reading another <laughs> damn document from UNESCO. <laughs> I get a thousand pages of documents sent to me a day from things that are way scarier than any dumb shit Jason Stanley from Yale on Twitter. Oh, some dumb shit on Twitter said something dumb shit. I don't fucking care. Here's a hundred page document from UNESCO saying every university in the world needs to be devoted to rewriting its mission statement to the sustainable development goals by next year. Like a little more alarming. Oh, wow. Here's a document from USAID saying exactly the same thing. Oh, shit. Here's one from the World Bank saying they're going to pressure companies to do it. Here's one from the World Economic Forum that says this is the only possible future. There are much more concerning things in the world than what some dumbass says on Twitter or some Twitter storm that happens around, like, because some freaking trans lunatic decided okay, they got pissed at you and called Twitter and every friend that would... they have on Twitch to come and yell at you and call you a name. So what was it about crap. Twitter that would make you pay attention to this useless Twitter is the data. world's newsstand. It shouldn't okay. be, but it is. Twitter knows what's happening in the world within eight seconds of it happening everywhere in the world always. It's the most connected place. But why put yourself, what, what is it about it that would make you want to respond to any given event instead of just concentrating on one or two things? Well, what would cause me to get pulled back into Twitter isn't that. What would get me pulled back into Twitter is the fact of knowing what's going on in the world and being where other people are. It's like truth is okay, but it's really lonely over there by comparison. So there are a lot of structural advantages that Twitter offers that are mm. unfortunate because it's also a communist platform. It's also a CIA operation. It's also <laughs> 60 to 80 percent bots. And I don't know what Twitter's even going to look like if Elon gets a hold of it and cleans that crap out. First of all, like, what did I have? 316, 18,000 followers or something? I bet that's going to get whacked down to like 81,000 because they're mostly fake. Yeah, but those 81 are the ones who matter, right? Do you think that public opinion – okay, so so going back to 
the bureaucracies and the education system and the fin- let's leave the financial system off the table right now. But if the bureaucracies for 50 years, for a couple generations, living memory has been working towards equity or wokeness, and wokeness is just equity with a bunch of like emotional manipulation tactics packed into it. And then the education system has been built and built and built and built and built. Is it sufficient for public opinion to say, you know what, that woke Disney film, I'm just not going to click on that. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to watch this thing. I'm going to call this bullshit out. Can public opinion do anything against the public sector? The public sector, I think, think, Uh, how how do you imagine, how do you vision that? I don't think that, like, everybody thinks people are dissatisfied right now. Nobody's dissatisfied yet. We're all still comfortable. We have not yet begun to fight. In other words, I don't think people realize just how pissed off people are going to be if bad things, and I mean real bad things. Inflation's bad, but it's only like intro level bad compared to what's coming. I don't mean like if the regime wins. I mean the pain (laughs) that's coming due to their misfeasance up to this point. I don't think people recognize – I tell you the regime is – aware of this. But I don't think people realize how mad people are going to be. And if that anger is directed in the directions of the people who actually deserve the blame, it will definitely have an effect. Uh, okay, well I they don't would think have we to lost. Yeah. If we were lost, okay. we would be seeing what's happening in China. We're not having what's happening in China. You try to run on the bank, they first of all, they turn your COVID app which you have to have. Do you have a COVID app on your phone? No. No, of course you don't, because you don't live in China. Well, because you don't live in a totalitarian state yet. So they well, turned just after up the road from me. So if you're in public, so that was one thing they did when the people started to go after the banks because their financial system's collapsing too. Yeah. Which, by the way, is fun wild card in this whole story. Okay, then what? They still they still went to the banks even though they were arresting people with their fake COVID crap, right? So what did that? What was the news thing that I just saw yesterday from China? Well, they're trying to manage those people with machine guns. If you tried to go cause, like, if peaceably assemble or cause a ruckus, are they moving on you with machine guns? Mm, not yet. What would happen in America if they brought out the machine guns? Probably the same thing that happens when we look at this happening in China and we're like, holy shit. But real, as opposed to like, holy shit, pretend. Well, I, they, they, I they, really, they... really, really, really think that when. I agree with Ed Dowd on this. When the 99.9% realize that they've been defrauded by the 0.1%, and it's not rich versus poor. It's a certain professional class of people. When when that happens, very, very, very quickly, things will trans- begin to transform into a, into a different model yeah. because most of the people involved in this are not particularly courageous people, and they will try to prioritize saving their skins and saving what bits of their fortunes that they have that they can. And it turns out there's a really sweet thing you can do, which is say, let the first hundred of them, as long as they rat on everybody, let them go. You know what? No harm, no foul. Keep your millions. Keep your dirty millions. We're not going to hold you accountable. All you have to do is tell us who put you up to it, and they will. They always do. I, okay, so I, I think that public uh, energy, uh, blowback energy on this will be wasted on actually vilifying p- 
people and images and saying this oh, is no, the bad no, person, no. this is the bad person, this is the bad. No, it's the entire this country system where nobody's like, paying like, attention. We are filling county commissions. We are filling school boards oh, okay. with people who think differently. Local politics is going to transform very radically in this country okay. in the next two to three years, two to four Does years. Bannon have a word for this because I know he's been working on this for a while. I don't so know if he has a word for it, but I know he pushes it harder than anybody uh, through the institutions. And this is a, you can see that the left wing media is like, oh no, Bannon's doing his thing. He's staffing up. He, all these <laughs> he's making radicals. people want to take take actual responsibility and get involved yeah. yeah and bannon's pushing it hard and i have been involved not involved like i'm active within it but i've been in all these organ like i've been in all these conferences that are like bannon land now and his posse is what they call it is always there okay man yeah. his posse these are people on fire these are people ready willing and able to do stuff all they want to do is do stuff. They want to and get on county do what? Just to for they the want to get on county commission. Like, they want to get on the water okay. board. They want to get and on do the what? school board. They want to get on everything. They want to get involved civically. They want to be poll watchers. They want to be election officials. They want to get involved in the civic process and put a stop to all of the garbage. And they don't want to get what? involved in the political process and install some fucking king. They want to get involved in the process. And make sure the process promises what it promises. We have okay. We have a very, very large, very motivated group of people. The War Room Posse is certainly one of these uh, sets of people. Moms for Liberty is another one. There's some overlap and intersect between those um, mm. because, you know, Bannon has made the wise move, in my opinion, of talking to Tiffany Justice from Moms for Liberty fairly regularly on, on War Room. So there's some overlap. But these Moms for Liberty, they're a hundred and some odd thousand strong now. They're literally going to school boards. They're literally going to county commission meetings. They're literally yeah. tackling the primary issues that affect things that moms care about, which are what? Schools and safe neighborhoods. So schools and crime. And they're going after these stupid woke bureaucrats at okay. the local and state levels, and they are getting elected. They are turning over school boards. They are going to school board meetings and making the school boards afraid to make dumb decisions. Mm -hmm. There's another organization I've talked to you about before, which is Utah Parents United. That's Utah only. They're making grassroots uh, you know, change. These are happening in – I go to some states and I say there's no – you know, there's no Arkansas Parents United or whatever state, North Carolina Parents United. And then some indignant person comes up and is like, actually, we have an organization and we call it blah, 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 whatever it happens to be. So they have every state almost, maybe excepting New York, has this kind of thing going. I know there are actually some really active, awake New Yorkers now. Hmm. It's happening. Okay. It's and it happening. sounds like representative democracy is it what's is. happening. That, okay. And that's what people want back and they want okay. back an economy that works within that system and they are willing to start getting off the couch and coming out and they're like wait a minute people can go watch the election and make sure that there isn't cheating going on okay where do i sign up and they're signing up by the hundreds all across the country by the thousands by the tens of thousands all across the country do you see harvard yale or the new york times saying this woke stuff is a big uh, headache and we're not going to apologize because we can't without losing our reputation, but we're going to go, we're going to go back to under two circumstances. Classic Number one, of... last where there's no option left. Number two, when they realize that it's a losing proposition for their ulterior motives. Like for example, ESG, if they decide that woke is a giant liability, they will divest of, of woke. 
And by the way, all the woke activists, any who still listen to you or me or whatever out in the world, <laughs> need to know they will divest of you as fast as you can freaking blink the second they perceive that you are the liability for them that you're becoming. So what so makes woke a liability then? Everybody except for the woke hate it. Everybody rolls their eyes. Everybody's sick of it. Once they started doing this crap with kids in schools and in hospitals that everybody knows about now or virtually everybody – once they started doing it, they lost. That's it. The end. They could have probably chugged along with critical race theory for a while. And I said this back in like 2020. I remember telling Mike O'Fallon in 2020, I got on the phone with him and I was like, you know, I chose critical race theory because there's all these different options. Which thing do I go after first when mm -hmm. I start writing this stuff out for new discourses? And I chose critical race theory. And one of the main reasons was because it's just so offensive. They have white this, white that, white the other thing, white logic, white math, white physics, white everything, right? It's just so offensive. White fragility, white talk, white silence, white, white, white. It's so blatantly offensive. So I was like, I'm in. This is the way to go. This will reach people. I chose that one. But one of the things I told Mike on the phone, I said, listen, Mike, queer theory is so repugnant that if they ever make the mistake of going full bore with that in the public, they lose on their own. There's no need to criticize it. It will destroy the whole movement if they put their chips on that. And then I didn't think strategically enough at the time. I'm not that smart. I didn't think strategically enough at the time to think if we debase critical race theory, that's where they have to go. And they have put, they, they have taken all their chips off the table and dumped them on let's cut kids' dicks off. Like, oh, it's, do it's, you have it's, any fucking idea how stupid that is? That is the worse. dumbest thing they could have ever possibly done. And so the just, very second that this liability yeah. calculus changes for the yeah. for a critical mass of the population abroad, they are going to dump the woke movement like a crazy girlfriend. Okay. But, and and they're, the only reason that they, they're going to hesitate to the last possible moment to do that, the only reason they're going to wait to the last possible moment to do that is – very simple. They know those people are literally nuts and are going to turn on them too. They can't, they are trapped. I, I've said this a billion times. They were like, hey, I have a great idea. Let's raise a dragon. And somebody was like, hey, guys, you live in a wooden house. And they were like, yeah, but we'll have a dragon. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring up Evergreen, but Evergreen. How's that doing totally these days? Oh, uh, they, uh, they're now saying that they have had the the greatest. They they did some sort of Biden uh, rhetoric turn where they say this has been the greatest um, uh, uptick in enrollment in however many decades because like the enrollment's so low that like they had like a hundred student comes on percentage wise, yeah. so, so percentage wise, like oh, it's a huge jump. It's a huge jump. And so people are like, yeah, that's real, right? No, of course they're not. People are no, just it's, like, it's eh, all, screw that. It's place. all spin. Yeah. See, this yeah. is the, the fundamental thing. I just put out an episode of my like uh, subscriber-only podcast on this today. I recorded What's it, it like, called? so long ago I can barely remember it. What's that? But plug it. It's called James Lindsay Only Subs. Okay. So you have to be a subscriber to New Discourses, then you right. get access to it. Cause it's and for you only have to submit, right? Is that what sub means? No. Well, only it's subscriber. Subs, no oh, okay. No. Sorry. I'm just because it's thinking. only subs is like only yeah. fans. Yeah, I know. That's why I brought up the Dom sub thing, because maybe no, it's no, just like another be weird and I'm only not weird. fancy. Well, uh, okay. All right. Well, I'm weird, but not that way. <laughs> so what Marquita was Sad special... is not my flavor of weird. Okay. No. Although right. I was talking to a guy at this thing I just went to in LA, <laughs> and he was saying that um, the entirety of the feminist movement is pre predicated off of Juliet from Marquita Sad's, what is it? The philosophy of the bedroom or whatever that he wrote? I 
It might just be called Juliet. Um, but anyway, is Juliet a different work? Because he has like the philosophy of the bedroom. That's like one of his books. Let's not dip into feminism and sadomasochism right now. That's yeah. He would be the sad part of the sadomasochism. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. He would be for subs. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we've gone tangential. We got to come back to the come back to the to the orbit. What the fuck were we talking about? Um, We were talking about something. That's true. We should probably take some questions, though. All right, we can just transition to questions. I had a point, but it didn't really matter. Uh, well, you were talking about CRT. You focused on CRT, and then they oh, put all their the money behind CRT, so and then it's, queer it's, theory. Queer is yeah. offensive. It's going to destroy themselves. Uh, Nobody can buy into this. It, not for long. Once the detransitioners start getting their voices more and more elevated, which is already in process, this thing is going. I mean, it's going to hit them like uh, an atomic. I mean, that's what I got kicked off Twitter for. I got kicked oh, off of Twitter for poking that, person, that bear. That so many people have been kicked off of Twitter. Normal, everyday yeah. people who don't do anything offensive are getting kicked off, A lot of people, off of Twitter yeah. for touching this bear. Yeah. You can't touch the trans thing. Weird Al will come and get you thrown off Twitter. Not Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Caraballo. Oh, don't don't say the name. Don't say Keffelt either. First question from Return to Reason uh, thank you for the super chat. Uh, thoughts on Peterson's conservative manifesto. His defense of institutions is laudable but catastrophic, calling them good and functional. Important line on the right, controlled versus real opposition. Have you been watching Peterson? He came out with a slew of message to this person and that person. No, I stopped watching Peterson some time ago when he made some like, screw you, woke moralists. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. I've actually I didn't pay. I mean, I was vaguely aware of Peterson, but I was vaguely aware of Peterson because I was on Twitter, and so I don't know what Peterson's doing. He hooked up with the Daily Wire, and I'm like, hey, he's corporate. I don't know. Okay. And but uh, with regard to conservative manifest, are are institutions uh, functional and good? Are they essentially good, or are they essentially trend corrupt? They trend corrupt, but they're yeah. necessary. So. That's why, like, when Benjamin Franklin came out, he was like, it's a republic if you can keep it. Well, your institution is only going to be as good as how well you keep it. you got to tend your garden. Yeah. And that is the political activity that you're involved in and plugged into. Yeah. It's getting people, raising awareness, and then getting them activated. I think that we really should be cleaning up, mostly shrinking, also when it comes to government apparatuses, but we should be cleaning up our institutions and making sure that they work to serve what they're supposed to serve in the United States of America, which is the people. Aren't they serving people by doing equity, by redistributing no, things? No, they're them? not. They are okay. not. Equity harms everybody that's involved in it. Every okay. redistribution scheme, not the, the short, short, short exception list of things where there is a overwhelmingly clear injustice involved that limits access. Actual outright discrimination with intentionality behind it disability these things limit access in a way that everybody can see is unfair and we actually do prefer to have equity to deal with those situations virtually nothing else okay uh, too many points i'm just gonna let you talk so uh, super chat uh two pounds this actually live anyway late here night people um thank you very much uh andrew joiner we're gonna go scroll down to a it question is live here that's the answer to that did question. you see that uh joan of arc the woke joan of arc or the trans joan of arc the the opening salvo is how trans people are sacred and divine it's so cringe 
We are going into the hermetic thing if you take one step further into that. I actually think that the trans thing is actually a hermetic rite that they're they're dragging our children into through their demonic use of misuse. Of, I'm not even going to like crap on hermeticism. I know Christians would want me to because it's like a heresy and all this. I'll even let it just be one of the grand spiritual traditions of, of humankind in history for the moment. And they say in their own writing, because I've been reading it, that you can use this for good or you can use this for evil. And I think that Hagelin, Marx, et cetera, have been using it for evil, and it has been for 200 years. By hermetic, you mean Gnostic, too? What's that? Is that a synonym for hermetic is Gnostic? No, they are cousins. They are close okay. cousins. The combination of the two and some other things in Europe in the Middle Ages was called the esoteric religions. Mm. So they are both esoteric religions. They actually have quite a bit in common. Their creation myths are fundamentally different. Their orientation toward the world and the objective of practice are fundamentally different. So they are not the same. And Hermetic the trans cult is, is manifesting. Of writings of a, a handful of writings, but primarily the writings of a character Hermes that Trimicus. may or may not be real called Hers yeah, Hermes Trismegistus, the yeah. thrice great. Yes. And it, the, the primary text is the Corpus Hermeticum, yeah. and it's 17 chapters, just like the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, oh, just like have the a 17 Contradictions of Capitalism that Marx found, just like okay. the 17 uh, generative do, 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 themes do, 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 that Paula Ferry says will we'll conscientize somebody, <laughs> just like that they intentionally signed the Constitution on September 17th. Oh, oh okay. wait, wait, that one was weird, but it's true. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to uh, do another one of these next week if you have time uh, anyway, to get into that hermetic stuff. Let's get So, Super Chat, Tom Riley. Oh, you've, you, uh, that's I'm still nice. married, believe it or not. You're doing great work. Great work, yeah, James. Knock on wood. Have you read None Dare Call It Treason by John Stormer or Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley? As it seems, you figured out what Yale and Harvard were up to in late. 19th century with philosophy no i have not but quigley i have a lot of positive words for although i haven't read more than a few paragraphs of his writing he comes up a lot in my circles and it seems to be that he's kind of spot on uh i was would also recommend for did people that, looking for go ahead sorry was quigley the guy who wrote that book that you spoke about with me previously about how the acad academia lost its theology department. And no, then... that's John Henry Newman. I'm trying to see if that book is in You're not looking. I'll hold he's it up not looking at his wife. He's looking at his bookshelf. His yeah, wife comes from the left. I mean, I have left. a, I really do. I have a bookshelf oh. over there. Um, yeah. So, uh, it is, I don't think it's in here, but that book is called the idea of the university by John Henry Newman. Yeah. Sorry, and so what, what's Quigley's uh, contribution or his... I don't remember what it's called. I haven't read Quigley yet, but I need to because he keeps, on keeps coming, coming up, up and he keeps proving to be valuable and right. Okay. Uh, I would add that people should probably, if they're interested in this kind of line of thought as to what the so-and-sos were up to, they should probably be reading Anthony Sutton as well. He He worked for the Hoover Institute until they crushed him because he got too close to something. And in particular, you might want to read his book, Skull and Bones. Um, about the Bonesmans, which is a secret society. And the Constitution was signed on September 17th, and that's not really weird or Freemasonry at all. By the way, the Freemasons were founded in 1717, if you didn't know that. I'm just bringing up a lot of 17s here. Have you heard of Catherine Austin Fitz? I have, but I can't remember why I've heard of Catherine Austin Fitz. Just, uh, that was this a is a definite show. yes, I have, but I don't remember. Okay. 
I uh, somebody asked me to have Ryan Chapman on. I, that's another YouTuber. I will take a note of that. I think I've heard of that person, Ryan Chapman. It's a I name I recognize. This is somebody I think I would have known who it was if I was still on Twitter. I don't watch YouTube though, except for this. Like, I, my algorithms loaded up with shit that is not in this realm. <laughs> Although I did end up some about waterboarding, like self waterboarding, shit too. But um, my algorithm like 17 was breaths. like 17 knife breaths. and sword making, wood turning, <laughs> physics, math, people who go around and taste strange foods and particularly fruits around the world. What's the sexiest Magic. thing about math? What's that? What about math? Sexiest math fact. I mean, or, they're or... kind of a lot. Um, I don't know about sexiest. Uh, I don't know. Okay. There's a very pertinent math fact, but we don't want to go off on another hour-long tangent. Oh, into two the... plus two equals five? No, that I think that what the what the hermeticists, or the, particularly the Hegel and Marx, are doing is a Fourier series on the idealized society. They're, they have the idea of the idealized society in their head and what they're trying to force on the world is the uh, truncated Fourier, comp uh, Fourier series, the, the partial Fourier series of the um, ideal world. And they have however many variables and 100 million people dying gives them another degree of precision in their thought. And so if they get enough, they can approximate the utopia by drawing it in the Fourier series. But that's a completely, <laughs> that's a long discussion. I don't even know how to present okay. Uh, somebody asked, and this is a while ago, have you and Ed done an interview together and where would you find it? I don't know who Ed is. Ed Dowd. And the answer is no. Oh. I met Ed at this for the first time. And we've chatted on social media a few times and I met him in person this past weekend. And uh, we talked okay. twice for a modest amount of time in each case. Okay. And then he gave a wonderful hour and change long presentation that I listened to. So connections have been made, but you guys haven't produced anything. Yeah, I can text him if you want so, me to text um, him. So on, on that note, do you do uh, interviews yet on your Secret, uh, secret Sauce uh, podcast, your no. only subs? Thing? No, no. I, no, I don't do interviews on any of them. So my three podcasts, I have three now, are the New Discourses podcast. And that's the long form one. Most of them are pretty long. We all know what that's about. It's just my general content. It's usually me reading their papers or pieces of their books and explaining what I think they mean or where we are in society is in reference to those things. I'm doing a series right now based on that UNESCO, 100-page UNESCO document called The Strange Death of the University. Part one just came out. It's called The Red Thread. That's language I stole from them. They said that the red Ooh. transformation, the first line of the document is transformation is the red thread running through all of the sustainable development goals. And I'm like, holy shit. Okie dokie. Nice imagery. Then the yeah. next, the next, so that's like the the preface or whatever, and then there's the forward or introduction, whatever the next section thing is, and it's just about how we all need to turn our attention back to Herbert Marcuse's One Dimensional Man. So I went and reread One Dimensional Man in the meantime, but so I'm doing that anyway. And, Do you admire uh, Marcuse? No. Do you loathe him? I mean, I find him a pretty difficult to like person i mean he's dead it's kind of a waste of time to loathe somebody well, yeah dead. but i mean do you admire him for being able to uh, articulate something so viral uh no i don't No. okay no i want to if i could go back in time and kick him in the balls i would oh i wouldn't okay, hesitate that's... i would kick him in the ball so hard i break his pubic bone 
you could probably do that with all the water boarding that you do to yourself. You're probably That's right. pretty lean. Super chat. Okay. Uh, Adam Keeney is reading uh, Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition, and he can uh -huh. smell Lindsay's cologne on every page. I don't know if you know that book. I don't know that book. Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition. Is that Glenn McGee? I or don't he... know. We would have to Let me look that up. up. Glenn McGee. That's a great name. I've read some of that. If it is, yeah, that's Glenn Alexander McGee. I have read some of it, but very little of it. Uh, I have, I only recently acquired a copy. So I had read excerpts of it from other sources, uh, in particular from Steve Coughlin, um, who I also met this week. Uh, Steve Coughlin is a, is an interesting and, and very, very smart guy that people should be paying more attention to. His website's called unconstrained analytics. And he's a uh, blogger then he, mostly essays and stuff. No, he's, he's a former intelligence officer. That sounds juicy. He's smart. Somebody, uh, uh, TOF, T-O-F, very, uh, intense, uh, profile picture says, love your work, James, just indispensable. How would you respond to critics who would accuse you of abusing language by diluting the label of Marxist? to apply to concepts outside economic theories. I think that those people don't understand what Marxism is and got hooked on the wrong thing and sucks so for them. What is the limiting principle for actually, your I language uses? I published a 7,000 word essay on that yesterday. 7, okay. But let, let, let's abstract from Marxists. Like what's the limiting principle? When you go after groomer or Marxist or something, do you still want to retain the meaning somehow, or do you not in a strict, woke? weird, goofy academic okay. sense? No. Okay. I want to go after the when I use a label, I'm not like classically an essentialist, but I want that word to capture the essence of what's going on. And so, why do I call people who are grooming groomers, or even I mean, I'm playing a little there, but the reason is because they're groomers. They're they're essentially engaging in the psychological grooming of children. Okay, so that's why. And uh, I'm playing a little bit there um, because they decided that racism can be structural, so I decided that grooming can be structural. Hmm. If there's an entire apparatus that upholds a small number of people grooming, but most people don't aren't directly involved in grooming, aren't they structurally groomers? According to their own logic, yes. And I do believe in that point from uh, from Alinsky is you should hold your opponent to their own standards. But that's it, one thing. What about Marxism? No, okay, I think okay. that if you've read – and I get this. I get why people are off. I get why people misunderstand Marxism as an economic and social theory primarily and only. And that we should reserve the term Marxism to mean Marx's economic theory. And the reason is because Marx's economic and philosophic manuscripts were not published until like 1937 or something like that. So much later, right? Or 1927. They were much later. He, they were not. They were written in 1844, but they were not published until the 1920s or 30s. I forgot exactly which date. What were those? this body of work about again? Marx's economic and philosophic manuscripts lay out Marx's entire kind of substratum of ideas before he wrote the communist manifesto it is an explicitly religious document it of course talks about economics it goes after adam smith viciously for a section or two hmm. but he talks about the ontology of man and the talos of history in tremendous detail well that's a religion 
at that point. And so everything he writes follows from that structure of his philosophy. Then they were published. And then what happened in the critical Marxist period in the, in the mid 20s or sorry, mid mid 20th century, 50s and 60s primarily, is a lot of that early Marx got reincorporated back into the corpus of how Marx was to be understood. So I get it from 1848 when the Communist Manifesto came out until 19, we'll say 30. Five-ish, six, whatever it was, eight, whatever it was for the economic philosophical manuscripts. Marxists didn't know that that was how Marx thought of this stuff, and so they were chasing an economic and political, a theory of political economy ultimately, but a socioeconomic theory. I see Marxism as a religious logic into which different concepts can be plugged in, and what we call, and I use the term classical Marxism to distinguish. What we call Marxism or classical Marxism is when you believe that which creates man, that which is the production of man, is economic conditions or economic materialism, then you plug in that subroutine within the broader program, and then that's the thing people call Marxism. When you unplug that and say that it's cultural hegemony that does it all, you plug in that subroutine, you get what we call cultural Marxism. When you unplug that and you say it's the existing terms of society, you plug in that subroutine, we get critical Marxism. When you unplug that and say it's you know, these divisive identity politics where we have stratified societies based on, say, race, sex, gender, et cetera, plug in and you get the various identity Marxist theories, like critical race theory, queer theory, et cetera. If you're who gets to have the power to make meaning in the world, to make sense of the world, postmodernism, unplug that subroutine and plug in the sustainability crap and then you get the World Economic Forum. But it's the exact same operating system. It's the same Atari with different cartridges sticking in it. So I don't name marxism after the cartridge that's the first the first cartridge whatever that was donkey kong or whatever the hell the first was pong i guess it was pong it was i don't pong, name man. i don't name it after the first cartridge i name it after the machine and so i think that what would i say to my critics was the question is you have missed the whole point and a hundred plus million people have died because people have missed the point stop missing the point Point well taken. James, in this secular society, where do we draw our ethics? Oh, God, this is like a three-hour conversation. Seems like we are living in an ethical vacuum. What has happened to responsibility and how do we get it back as a value? We draw our ethics from me. What I say is ethical and what I... No, wait, that's... Lindsay hegemony. <laughs> um, sorry, that was something else. We don't do that. We very much don't do that. We most definitely don't do that. Um first principles then this is a very long conversation yeah and if i understand right wasn't wasn't um crocoduck in the chat again well if so you should watch crocoduck's series that he's been putting out on his channel about the uh kind of foundations of philosophy i think he called it the naturalist nuke to go after um the woke thing particularly but if you watch that uh he and I agree rather significantly on those matters. And so you can get, he, he explains how he believes that ontology, epistemology, and axiology kind of all come from the same place, which has something to do with observation. And you should just go watch his videos on it. And then I, you can spend three hours with Crocoduck instead of three hours with me doing a bad job of rearticulating <laughs> roughly the same argument. Oh, I don't know if we're going to get through all of these, and we should probably wrap it up pretty soon. Let's get yeah, six I more minutes. Like crazy. So. Yeah, me too. If God, <laughs> okay, <laughs> if God is something of a description of the vastness of reality, seeking truth as a means of coming to terms with reality, 
This craziness seems to be a means to see reality only as your own perception, which is hell. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not wrong. It's, uh, I was talking with somebody today, and I don't want to steal his stuff and put it out there, so I don't want to say what he said. But um, it's really a matter of capturing the framing of how reality is understood. And this is what you know people have been talking about and circling about. I wrote an essay on it at Christmas a couple of years ago, um, ar- arguing that really what we're dealing with is a construction of pseudo-realities or uh, false paradigms of legitimation. And this is why these centrists who just want to be above everything are such a big problem, because what they want to do is be above anything that might call out those uh, those paradigms of legitimation. That's where these strivers are both very dangerous and can become very useful. Uh, they're trying to strive within the existing false reality, the hyper-reality, the, the pseudo-reality, the, the paralogical regi- uh, regime of legitimation, whatever terms mm-hmm. from the philosophical literature we want to apply to it. Do uh, This is related uh, question, Super Chat. Um, do you think technical, tech companies will start telling their engineers to not get the right answer in math because they'd be upholding white supremacy? Do you think wokeness is actually going to affect the bridges? No, not like that. But yes, it will affect the bridges, but not like that. What will happen is you will have people who are in various protected categories, which might be based on identity if the current paradigm continues, but it might be based in being useful to the regime if it descends into what it's eventually going to descend into if it continues on its trajectory. And those people will be wrong and they will not be allowed to be told that they're wrong. So they will not be corrected because that would be racist or that would be sexist or that'd be transphobic. So you can imagine Weird Al making a big fuck up and somebody having to tell Weird Al you did this completely wrong. And then everybody knows that Weird Al is going to ruin their lives with their transtifa bullshit. And so you don't tell Weird Al that they did something wrong. And all of a sudden, you know, the bridge falls down because Weird Al got the calculation off by two zeros or whatever. And nobody wanted to say that they're wrong because that would be transphobic. And that's where this always goes. This is why Chernobyl melted down. This is why why mm-hmm. the Chinese economy is teetering on collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this is what happens when you have this kind of a totalitarian regime. So it's virtually guaranteed if we continue down this line that this will occur i think we're going to see it massively in medicine and i've called it medical lysenkoism and talked about it extensively that's dangerous stuff very dangerous unstoppable right now Uh, last question of the night if you had to pick a favorite math proof what would it be you know i was a combinatoricist so i trot one out a lot i have a lot of proofs actually that i like wait so you're like mashing things together you're like kind of that's not exactly combine kiss kiss i mean there's a lot of elegance for example in the eulerian is it euler no it's euclidean proof of the infinitude of the primes there's a lot of elegance in that i like that one mm-hmm. i used to trot out that the square root of two is irrational from memory in very short doses i think that one's very really beautiful but as a combinatoricist, I really like this one, which is the one that I give. It's a very simple one. I'm not going to get into the Fibonacci sequence or all that like I could with the dominoes or the, the – the, what are they called? The Lucas numbers where you use the, the circular domino arrangements. I really like that. It's really fun. But um, I, people are like, well, what in the world is a combinatoricist? What do you do, mash things together or make <laughs> potatoes? Kiff, like, What kiff. do you do? No, no. And so what it is, is that you you show that when you have an identity, which is that you have two expressions with an equal sign between them, that both sides of the identity count the same structure in different ways. That's a combinatorial proof. And I always think that these are really fun. That's why I did my PhD Hmm. in combinatorics, because I thought they were fun. I knew they weren't useful, 
particularly. Like Sudoku. I just think they're, yeah, they're, they're like a puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the puzzles. And so a lot of people don't know that the, the, the perfect squares and the odd numbers have a particular relationship between them. And that relationship is that the nth perfect square, so n squared, whatever n is, if it's 5, 5 squared is 25, right? So if n equals 5, it's 25. It turns out that the perfect squares equal the sum of the first n odd numbers. Okay, so 5 squared is 25. 1 plus 3 is 4 plus 5 is 9 plus 7 is 16, and then the fifth one is plus 9 is 25. Yeah. Okay, so it turns out that if you add up the consecutive odd numbers starting with 1, n of them, then you get n squared. And how do you know? Well, imagine that you have a square arrangement of tiles or balls or blocks or whatever. Yeah. n on a side. By definition, that is n squared, right? That's the definition of n squared, so you know that yeah. the n squared side of the identity counts that square arrangement, n by n arrangement checkerboard or whatever you want. What about the other side? Well, you start with the one in the corner, that's one, and then there's one next to it and one below it, and then one in the corner, right? And that's, so you add three more to it, and that gives you four. What's right. below that? There are two below that, two on its side, and then one in the corner. So it's two times two plus one. It was two times one plus one. Now it's two times two plus one. Then the, what do you have next? You have a three by three square. What? How do you get to the next one? There are Four, or sorry, there are three below it, three beside it, and one in the corner. So it's two times three plus one. But that's the next odd number. You have two times one plus one, two times two plus one, two times three plus one, two times four plus one. And that's how you, if you think of the checkerboard, instead of it being n by n, you think of it as the corner and then the L around it and then the bigger L around that and then the bigger L around that until you go out n layers, you get the same checkerboard counted by two different means. And so that's a mathematical proof that n squared equals the sum of the first n odd numbers. And that, I think, is kind of cool. And it says, people hear that and they're like, wow, you're right. Combinatorics is so fun. I'm going to go major in that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Literally, nobody has ever said that. They give me the same exact look that you just gave me. I, uh, I would need to see the graphics. So there's probably a YouTube video that just like shows it. I did it with my finger, Benjamin. I know your but finger yeah, isn't would. a gif. Yeah, I can't draw on your on my on your YouTube. James anyway. Lindsay, it's been way too long. Great to have you back. Um, thank yeah. you so much for joining me. Hopefully, we can get back into it about the hermeticism and get into your weird, funky, magical uh, reading. I just started stuff. reading their books. Uh, I'm like, holy uh, shit! Okay, <laughs> seventeen, seventeen. What's the proof of seventeen? So thanks. No, we're not going to do that. It's just a prime number. It's okay. It's just a prime. It's just a prime. Uh, say good night to uh, the folks at home. Good night, folks at home. Have a good night. I'm. Up.